The dating app OkCupid is famous for matching people on what matters most to them, from food to the type of relationships they want to even politics. They ask you really thoughtful and provoking questions to get to the heart of who you are and what type of person you're looking for. Download the OkCupid app. It's free. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Repeat, this is a test of the emergency podcast system. Disaster Girls is an unironic excavation of disaster movies with profiles as high as the tallest volcano and as low as the Marianas Trench. In order to ensure your safety and enjoyment, please remain calm and keep your ears locked on your hosts, myself, Jordan Virgiola, and me, Amanda Smith. Greetings and salutations out there to the vast disaster diva landscape across the cosmos, really. Uh, here I am, yet again, your co-host Jordan Cruciola. And I'm Amanda Smith. And we have we have a guest from across the galactic divide, aka elsewhere in the Los Angeles region. Guest, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us the very exciting movie you've brought for us to discuss today? Yes, thank you for having me. I am Liam O'Donnell. Uh, writer-director of Beyond Skyline and Skylines. And I have brought to you uh, the film that uh, may be the most influential on those, Independence Day. I mean, we've, we're, we're, we are spoiling you guys, listeners, so much lately because we save our we save the biggest movies like for guests to be able to reserve them so they don't necessarily have to talk about made-for-TV sci-fi specials from 2003. They can, certainly, <laughs> but we want to have a rich bounty of blockbusters for, for guests to come on and choose from. And I'm almost just shocked that it's taken this long for someone to pick this movie, yeah. but it could not be more appropriate that it is your choice. As, you know, Liam just said, he is the writer and director of Skylines and Beyond Skyline. Um Let's emphasize, I need to emphasize that those are movies that we should absolutely be discussing on this podcast at a certain point. They are fucking rad alien movies. I'm not just saying this because you're here, Liam. I really, really like these movies. And I encourage any of our listeners who like the kind of stuff we talk about, if you like Independence Day, watch these movies. They are kick-ass alien invasion. And then, you know, a little beyond invasion and what we do in the aftermath of that becoming the new normal as those two films unfold. Uh, great casts, great action, great thrills. And I'm so excited to have you, an alien movie maestro, on to talk about this most important alien movie. Oh, well, thank you. That was so uh, very, very nice. And um, <laughs> I don't even know, uh, I'm taken off guard, but uh, yeah, I did I did follow your, uh, your, your live <clears throat> tweeting of Skylines and uh, it delighted me to know. And- Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, I definitely, um, uh, we can get into it, but this movie was, was, was definitely like a cornerstone of, uh, of, of, of an influential time for me at the theater. I don't know. I'm, my biggest thing when I think of Independence Day is mm -hmm. everybody fucking bursting into applause, like like yeah. four or five <laughs> times. Amazing. And it, at the very end, it was like a standing ovation. And this is 1996. I'm born in 82. Uh -huh. um, you know, so I, I'm like, a, it, it's kind of these formative theater going years. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the 90s, early 2000s were a good time for disaster stuff. Yeah. Oh man, we were. It's going to get into my general thesis, Jordan. But I say they were a good time for the entire world. I mean, that is yes. really like 1996. It's <laughs> like we're talking. There's there's peaks happening. Yeah. All over all over the world in this moment, and I think that's <laughs> what the movie 
comes to feel to me is that if, when you look back at it, you're like, it's a, kind of a high watermark for a lot of uh, a lot of things in society. There we go. I mean, humanity. 1996, the pinnacle of humanity. Really <laughs> a bold statement, but I'm in for it. Give it the volcano. <laughs> volcano was 97, so I'm right there with you. Like, why not? You know, no more bold on this podcast than Kit Harrington as a horse. So it's, no, it's excuse a, me. That was Emily Browning is a horse. Oh, Emily Browning is a horse. Don't mix these things up. Kit Harrington wanted to ride her. Yes. Yes. Now I'm, I'm interested in then too, in hearing your kind of origin story with this also, Amanda, because it, it, it doesn't come up much, but it has been stated on this podcast. It hasn't been expressed. Amanda, not embracing alien movies. Like, Okay, deep, uh, an unsettling, a disturbing. This is one of the rare. No, this is one of the rare times I would fully say this is a full-on phobia of aliens. Yeah, and I I say that completely, and with that, like it is a totally ridiculous, absurd, irrational fear. I've had it since I was like four to five years old. Mm -hmm. Um, The quick Cliff Notes version is that we went to a planetarium show at uh, when I in New York at the New York Planetarium. Mm-hmm. My parents, my mom was a super big space nerd. My mom's about <laughs> space in a very similar way to the way I am about geology. Like my mom's okay. super into it. And um, short version is that we were at the planetarium show and I'm staying there. I'm like, mommy, this is about aliens. And they, my parents are like, no, 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 this is a normal. This is going to be about planets. It's about planets. It's about uh-huh. space. And I kept looking at the thing and it was like, the sign was, um, aliens, are we, you know, the universe, are we alone or something like that? And I was like, oh, this, yeah. doesn't seem right. Doesn't seem yeah. right. <clears throat> we get in, we sit down and like around the rim of the theater of the planetarium, mm-hmm. there's this like desert scape with cacti and things like that. <laughs> yeah. And a car, a little car silhouetted driving along and it sputters to a stop. And the voiceover is like, John, what's wrong with the car? Uh-huh. I don't know, Mary. The car just suddenly stopped. John, right. what's that bright light in the sky? And then they get abducted and then they start showing, and like that's the whole thing. And then uh-huh. in the center of the screen, they start showing like all the different aliens from different movies. Oh. And I lost my shit as a as a high strung five to five year old. Um, and that just like embedded in my head that you get abducted by aliens in the desert, which was not great because one of the other things we did very often as a family was go out to Palm Springs and sure. stand out in the middle of the desert. Yeah. To look at the sky because my mom was like, look at how many stars there are. This is so cool. Let's go yeah. look at the stars. So from the age of like five on, I would just panic and be like, I'm going to get abducted. I'm going to die. And so all alien movies, I can't do it. The idea of aliens freaks me out. Like, I think it was two summers ago when there was some mysterious thing that they found in the sky and they weren't sure what it was. They were like, uh-huh. it could be aliens. We're not sure. <laughs> um, and it wound up being like a meteor or something. I had to text Aaron Biba, you know, from our yeah, friend, friend of the pod, friend of yeah. the pod, Aaron Biba, uh, listen to her Twister episode. I had to text her and be like, Aaron, tell me this isn't aliens because I have had anxiety for four mm-hmm. days now mm-hmm. and I can't reconcile it. Uh-huh. So that's where, so as a result, I do not watch alien movies. I but you had, did watch ID four when it came out. I did. I watched ID four when it came out and I'd have no memory of why. And it didn't traumatize me, uh-huh. but, I, um, and I, but watching it again for this podcast, I was like, holy shit, how did this not traumatize me? <laughs> because this is, I mean, that is an alien. That is probably one of the best doomsday sort of alien invasions. And I had yes. no recollection of most of what happens. This isn't it's, like a couple the of- best. It's, it's the best. 
Yeah, I can't best. say it's the best. Like I can't say authoritatively because again, only alien movies I've ever right. seen. You, yeah, you, this, you have no basis for comparison. This on purpose. Uh, what was it? The Tom Cruise one that Oh, Day After uh, Day, or, Day or, Day War after of War. the Worlds. War, War of the Worlds. Yes. Yeah, sorry, damn it, you worlds. infected me. And arrival. I did. It was me. Yeah. This War of the Worlds and Arrival are like the three alien movies that I have seen. I mean, War uh, of the Worlds is scary as hell. War of the I Worlds was, is much scarier. And I think that, I was that's terrified. the interesting thing about ID4 because I watched it with an eight-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a four-year-old. That's also. important to this discussion. You get the, the time of your viewing not, and watching the, with them. They were not that scared. There's okay. jump scares, you know, yeah. when the aliens yeah. come out and when, you know, when they grab... Uh, Brett Spiner and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. I, I would just watch them and they, it it still works. You know, this thing <laughs> yeah. is a fucking finely, to, finely tuned, well-oiled machine. <laughs> it's two hours and 25 minutes and it works like every- It's two single... hours and 25 minutes? Yes. Yes. It's a yeah. very, this movie is like an hour and 45 minutes. I know. Minutes. It's I know. a really it long so, movie. It's, but it's so, to me, just so well-paced. I actually think it's maybe the best first act in disaster wow. movie history. Like yeah. if you wow. look around, because and it's funny, uh, I got sent um, this thing and I, I had to watch this movie, The Swarm. I don't know if you guys have done The Swarm. We no, are, we're going, yes, that is okay, on the list. So I watched that this week um, and it's two hours and 30 minutes and mm -hmm. it feels like, you know, four. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, Airplane 1970 felt like about a fucking eight hour miniseries. And in that's, a movie yeah, form. it's not to say any, I, Michael Caine sells the shit out of that movie. So you guys <laughs> will really enjoy it. There's some crazy <laughs> shit. It's very, the Erwin Allen stuff is, and it's funny because I think you guys mentioned this on the 2012 thing. It's somewhat satanic, like where you're <laughs> just like involved in this like melodrama with these people and you're like, they, they get really sweet and yeah. into it and then they just die in a fiery wreck yeah. and there's no lesson to be learned from it whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. I do yeah. feel like like Independence Day, the cross-section of characters and the way that it's moving and building on them, they're all pretty well chosen and they yeah. all serve a purpose to the story. There's not that many just kind of like bullshit vignettes. No, I, like I care work. about every deviation from yeah. the main drive. I care about President about the, the president and his daughter. I care about the president's wife. I care about Vivica Fox and oh, her daughter. Yeah, obviously I'm in with Will and, and Jeff son, Goldblum. Her son. Oh, her son, yes, yes, yeah. yes. And I am, yeah, I was thinking of Mae Whitman and the president's daughter. Like <laughs> I, I care about Brett Spiner. I care about the scientists. Like every yeah. tributary you could take me on. I'm and obviously Randy Quaid and his children, like every piece of offshoot, I'm so invested in their stories. And it just the emotional stakes paired with absolutely remarkably well the way they hold up the visuals in this oh movie, God, even now yeah. when the alien comes out of his ship at Will Smith, when the White House blows up, when cities are being destroyed, when the, the alien like dogfight in the air, it all still looks like I could walk outside and see any of that right now. Yeah. This goes to my Peaks conversation. It's because in 1996, from the visual effects standpoint, is that mm. so much of it is still practical. Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. White House is... It's a, a model. Miniature. It's, mo it's yeah, a this movie. I watched the making of this morning. It's it's a it's a big 30 foot tall thing that they built and all the guys are so nervous and they figured out exactly which charges are going to be doing it in which place so that the debris will look the way it does. God. 
And, you know, like uh, the thing that bothers me about CG and I'm as guilty about it as, as anyone is the particle effects just kind of turned everything into dust, especially mm -hmm. after 9-11 and yeah. the way that the buildings collapsed. Every explosion after that, it's all debris, dust, dust, dust. And it yeah, kinda, you're right. It kind of clutters over the crisp visual of in, in, that you could only really get with these miniatures yeah. exploding. So that's why there's, it's so iconic and so crisp. Mm -hmm. It holds up so well because they're using, you know, digital, they're in obviously the laser blast, but mm -hmm. it is a 300 frame shot of an actual White House replica being destroyed. And the guy said it costs like $50,000. I was like, it, it's money well spent. You should yeah. spend like that $50,000 is the greatest value yeah. in the history of visual effects. The, the return that, on that, that $50,000 is was only 50000 because I think it's the best. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay then. For, I think like, it's the greatest, one of the greatest effect shots of all time. Yeah, from, I mean, hands down. From the standpoint of then somebody who has made an alien invasion movie in, in a present, in a time when we have all the, you know, the bells and whistles and advantages of the effects space in like a, you know, 2020-ish world around when you're working with making the Skyline films. What is that conversation like from just a practical standpoint, a technical standpoint where you're like, I know what I want to do practically. I know what I need to do digitally. How do you find that medium for yourself, knowing how much you want to make the $50,000 White House and have it blow up? Like, how, how is that finding that balance as somebody who has had to do it from a disaster movie standpoint? Well, I, it's it's almost like budgeting for the you know like you guys like what you would do for your budget for the month, and right. you only have that much money, and you kind of know like there's just it just doesn't make sense that I'm going to get like a Peloton this month. Yeah, <laughs> and so like like the miniature effect is like it's like ah uh, you know you could go for a run around the block, yeah, or you could buy a Peloton, and uh, <laughs> I think that like for what the movies that I make, um, you know they're they're in this kind of niche where they're they're like um kind of VOD plus budget, but they're not anything right. close to even, um, you know, like, like what would be a tiny uh, studio movie. Yeah. So um, the, the practical stuff, the things that are affordable mm -hmm. uh, and that makes sense and, and that like, you know, the, we built the the suits for Beyond Skyline and we, yeah. we ended up putting them in like coffins and storage and then refurbishing them and using them for the third movie. Totally. Uh, whereas in, if it's a studio movie, they're like, okay, we're going to get better suits the next time, you know, we're going to, we're going to go on and on and on. Yeah. So you kind of have to use like what makes uh sense for within this budget range it's not mm -hmm. really so in god comes to the films i'm making but i also feel like the the sad thing um about some of these art forms in that when i say peak is that the, they were doing all these miniature work for all of those big um you know big budget action movies over the last 20 years before this so the guys that were doing it in yeah. like 1996 to Starship Troopers, 1998, like all mm -hmm. that, they were the best that like probably have ever done it, you okay. know, yeah. because that, and you were hitting them right at their like professional peak. And they were like the Weta workshop time, of their, the Weta workshop of their time. Yeah. Right. And then since that time, you know, Weta is actually kind of the, the outstanding example with the Lord of the Rings that maybe is the second peak of this, mm -hmm. but the, 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 the sad thing has been like, the first movie I worked on was AVP two mm -hmm. and there was so much time spent on the practicals and stuff on set. Yeah. And even then you could, the guys were so frustrated because they were used to so much more time. Yeah. And so like, 
as shoot time has become more expensive, mm-hmm. they just basically, it's just cut into those guys' craft. It's cut yeah. into their art form. And it's everyone saying like, you have less time to do what you, to, that everyone knows takes this much time, but we're not, it's too much money. So we're just going to do it in post. Even yeah. if post ends up costing more, there's something about like the studio having to like sit there and watch them tinker with their toys. I don't yeah. know. It feels like, so, so there's a bit of a, of a, of a, of a just sort of like a cumulative effect of that, like the artists and the craftsmen haven't been given the time to do this, to, mm-hmm. to get as good as they you know, should have been in the past. So mm-hmm. that that's kind of where, when you look back at this stuff, you're just like, it's never going to be like that good again, because mm-hmm. you're looking at 20 to 35 years of experience kind of playing out on screen. It's interesting too. I I have a, a podcast where I talk about horror movies from around the, the millennium era. And one of the things that I'm, I'm so nostalgic about for that time period is how in the 2000s, so much money was spent on horror production value like yeah. you had dark castle entertainment that was basically just like l- licensing old william castle movies to make them again so you had things like the house of wax and 13 ghosts and the house on haunted hill and the haunting where you had these big practical sets that they worked in and you just don't have set pieces like that anymore unless you have an auteur on the level like a, of a guillermo del toro being like i want to make crimson peak nobody else gets that kind of money that was spent it seemed like in an almost commonplace fashion on the IP that was rolled out in the 2000s, just and the money will just never be there in a, as a matter of course, like it was again. Like we just right. we just kind of know that that era is gone. It has and it to be just like you makes said, me like sad. like a like a Sam Raimi or a, or a Guillermo coming back to the genre and exactly. pushing some chips into the table. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, uh, James Wan is kind of the the like the guy who can do that now. Mm-hmm. You know, like he, you know, his his movies actually have a pretty good amount of VFX and. And they decent shoot schedules. I mean, that's really what indie filmmaking now. It's like they're just crushing you on the shoot schedules, mm-hmm. especially on horror. It's like, yeah, can you do it in fifteen days? And it's like, come on, um, <laughs> come on. <laughs> I think all of this is very relevant to the reality index because one of the reasons this movie, the, the perhaps the main reason this movie can hold up so well, besides the fact that this is really Roland Emmerich in his Mach ten, just full speed potential it, era, yeah. <laughs> it is it it just it it was allowed to exist with the resources that are not if not required really 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 nice in creating a package that can stand up against the test of time to not look like something that was just an artifact of a moment because this is what we had to work with then and even though we've moved so far beyond the technical capabilities of what we had in 1996 like it's a cute example of what an alien movie used to be no this is still kind of the zenith of potential of what an alien movie could be even 24 years 25 years later that's what I say. 100% agreement. 100%. <laughs> yeah. right. I mean, it's it's the fact everybody, every like I feel like this is one of those trivia facts everyone knows now, but this movie holds the record for the most um, miniature models ever used in a film. <laughs> and this record has, that. yeah, and it hasn't been broken yeah. since because this movie had such a high density of it. And then everything afterward from this point on, you just start, you know, using VFX or um, CGI. And so mm-hmm. the record just never gets broken. Um, but it holds, I mean, the destruction of New York oh. is so wow. fucking good. <laughs> wow. It's just so good. And I mean, that's, you know, and that's, and, and again, that happens well into the film. Like we have so much movie before the aliens start blowing anything up and it's just 
impending sort of dread. Yeah. <laughs> so much that's, of this that's film what I really is feel like that, that first act. Great. Yeah. The first act is just, it's such, it's, it's, it's like a watch and everything <clears throat> is clicking into place. It's, yep. it's literally his countdown clock. And then it all kind of, you know, comes off at the same time. It was like, I, I actually had that thought of like, has anyone else like done as good of a Steven Spielberg like impression of right. a movie? Like, I feel like no. it's the it's the best like eating Steven Spielberg's lunch movie. Because <laughs> <laughs> everybody tries to rip him off. Yeah. Everybody tries to do what he does. Yeah, that's true. This is the one that's like, hey, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That's cute. I'm going to have my close encounter guys get blown up by the aliens like 20 minutes in with a little beep, boop, beep, boop, you oh know, my helicopter. God. He kind of gives him the finger and then blows up the world. It's like, oh, I, I, I would I would love to get like to have seen Spielberg watching this for the first time. In the oh, my God. An honest reaction before he said he loved it. I mean, he was like, <laughs> Wait, he made War of the Worlds. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. So yeah, like, I, I can imagine, I can then, it, it almost makes me see War of the Worlds as this thing, like, as soon as he walked out of the theater, he started just like <laughs> tapping his fingers together. He was like, all right, you son of a bitch. Game and, on, Emrick. Yeah, yeah. Game <laughs> fucking on. Yeah. And like, and that like, they're really, as far as movie stars go, like kind of, I mean, there are, there are sort of our are jewels like a Julia Roberts or a Tom Hanks or a Meryl Streep. And those are, those are people, you know, regularly contending mm-hmm. for Oscars. And it's, it's, a, that's the sort of peak of the firmament of sort of the American acting establishment. But the peak of stardom is still Will Smith and Tom Cruise. Yeah. From 1996 to now, like we don't, movie stars, movie stardom is not formed like it used to be. Like there, there's, you, you're not going to really mint a new Will Smith and new Tom Cruise anymore because that's just, the monoculture is gone. That's just not the way it works. And you can, the way you can put this movie in the hands of Will Smith, as I posited to Amanda before we started recording, perhaps you could make it through Independence Day because the power of Will Smith. It's entirely, the power of 1996 <laughs> Will Smith is just, I mean, it's there, I, I, there is no more compelling actor than mid nineties. Like no more, no more fun actor to spend two hours with not compelling, but you, there is no one you would rather spend two hours with in 1996 to 1999 than Will Smith. That's just unquestionable. (laughs) Like that's the smile and the chuckle, like fine, done. Well, I'm in. And who can give you, who can give you Spielbergian populist gravitas? Yeah. Like who can incorporate like those beginnings of, you know, working in, in drama before he went like full Fresh Prince and committed to sort of like a comedy action groove. Like you get, you, you, the tenderness that you feel in his emotional dynamics in his life and like the bonds that he forms in this movie, Mm -hmm. you're like, I want to know Will Smith like that? Like I yeah. want to, I want to know this guy because I feel like we would have this kind of relationship. It's just the the bonds, and much like in the core, Amanda. Like the success of the core is that ensemble. It's Delroy yeah. Lindo and Stanley tu- Stanley Tucci. Like this movie, I fucking love the core. I love yes, guys Amanda yes. is yeah. the, oh, the core movie. resident expert. <laughs> yeah, I that I have yeah. watched the core an unhealthy number of times. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, no, this movie, what's amazing about this movie with oh. this casting is just the fact that like any of these films can, you could take a prequel and I'm normally very anti-prequel. Sure. You could give me a prequel for any of these characters and I would be like, yeah, give me, I will watch a prequel. I will watch a TV show. I want, yeah. the TV, I want a TV show set entirely in Area 51. 
Yeah, yeah, like that group of people and that group core of group of scientists working in an Apple store. Essentially. I want to see first daughter Mae Whitman go off to college. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, it's funny because I had to Google that and I was like, oh, yeah, that is, you know, Scott Pilgrim. That's yeah, yeah, there she is. I, I was just going to add to the Will Smith uh, discussion because I literally did this experiment last night. I have the kids around the dinner table and I said, Do you, are, are you guys familiar with who Will Smith is? Mm-hmm. And they knew that song way up that Jaden did on into the spider verse mm-hmm. and they knew oh, whip, and they okay. knew whip my hair back and forth not familiar with will smith they they uh, they really do like spies in disguise but oh, we, okay, we okay. haven't gotten into any and i go okay well we're going to watch this movie when he punches the alien in the <laughs> face and yeah. says welcome to earth my 8 year old ruby goes i love him and then <laughs> When he's dragging the alien across the salt flats and he's yep. kicking it in the parachute, it was just like I just was watching her and she's like, it, "It's such a movie star making scene. Yeah. He's so so much bravado. He's got no one else. He's he's acting with a dummy in a You're parachute. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And he's pulling it and he's just like, look at all this ruckus and he's <laughs> kicking it. And and she was just dying. Like they all were like Will Smith fans at the end of that scene. I love and that's that. kind of like like what you're saying it was a movie star making role i was almost like i wonder if he gives like a fruit basket to roland emmerich like every year because <laughs> yeah. it is just like wow like he he comes in 20 minutes into the movie he's like this han solo of the movie it's not like it's will smith in the, his bedroom and then he just completely takes it over by the end it, it, it is like uh, it's it's an amazing thing to watch, uh, yeah. especially kind of knowing where it goes from there. But yeah, like even just his his look to Vivica when he's like, "Yes, I am," and you're like, "God damn it! Yes. How do you fucking deliver that line God and make it, it good? Yes. <laughs> you are not that charming. Yes, I am, and it's lovable. Why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, no, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> See, the thing you know that because Jordan and I take notes on the movies. Like, you, you know, we take notes before we go into this, and I you always know that something like is perfect when it's not just that Jordan that we've all managed been like highlighted that moment, but when mm. we've written down the exact quote of the. <laughs> dialogue (laughs) all the venn diagrams of the dialogue overlap and i also have in my notes you're not as charming as you think you are sir yes i am and i was like i watched i was like it's mid-90s will smith he's got a mustache he a hundred percent is as charming as he thinks he is if not somehow more charming Yeah, yeah, if actually like, we're we're lucky that he doesn't quite know how charming he is because yeah. that would cross the Rubicon into mm-hmm. unmanageable. <laughs> yeah, like that would actually like that mid nineties Will Smith could a hundred percent have started up some sort of insane cult and overthrown the U.S. government. <laughs> That's how powerful mid nineties Will Smith smile is. Well, and I think that that Han, the Han Solo comparison is, is so yeah. good because it really is like that moment is I love you, I know. Like that, that is exactly what that does. And in the 95, 96 stretch, you have this movie coming out and you have Bad Boys has come out. So between Mm -hmm. these two things, you have Will Smith in sci-fi, Will Smith with a gun. And then you combine various permutations of that, the like Taco Bell menu remix the the ingredients to make a thousand different dishes you have the sort of architecture of his whole career going forward with that are will smith being charming with a gun and will smith being charming with science fiction and it's like wow shit those two the the twin peaks of those two movies those will always work 
Those will they always will, work. Yeah. They will always work. They have never not worked for me. They worked for me in Gemini, man. I love that movie. Yeah. People didn't give yeah. that movie enough of a chance because it's a no, gun, it's, a- it's science fiction, and it's Will Smith being a sort of parent to his <laughs> own version of himself. And Jason has re-entered the video chat to affirm, I think he's affirming the supremacy of Gemini, man. Yes. Yes, we we're getting a oh, thumbs up on Gemini Man. Gemini Man is so freaking art. good. The it's fact so that good. Ang Lee got that movie made finally after 20 years of development. The fact that Will Smith looked so good, both de-aged and in his current age. The action yep. scenes were incredible. The, the even, fact the, of Mary Elizabeth Winstead, period. Yes, and we all need to recognize the truth of high frame, high frame rate filmmaking and that eventually it will finally show us its worth. And I think Gemini <laughs> Man could have, but none of the theaters had the technology to show it in the way that it was intended to be seen, but it's really good. It's anyway. I'm Jason's sorry. putting the long game bet on high frame rate. He is he is investing oh, really? his stocks in high okay. frame rate. <laughs> yeah, that's actually high frame I, I bought, rate I bought, only go up. <laughs> yeah, I bought stock in I don't know Panavision, whoever makes those cameras. <laughs> but, but yes, that like I, this is such a it's such a it, it, like I think it ties to the reality of it too because it makes like that's the, that's this that was something Greenland did really well. Like it, it was like the ultimate kind of gritty reality reboot of a disaster movie, which is didn't I didn't think was something that I really wanted to see. I, I love the extravagance and the sort of like puffiness and silliness. But Greenland was so rooted in the pathos of Morena Bakarin and Gerard Butler's characters. And this movie, like, isn't the grim, dark version of Disaster Movie, obviously, in Independence Day. But what you have in it is, in order for your Disaster Movie to really transcend, you've got to have that grounding core of that star- those stars, either, like, one or mul- multiple, who you just can't deny to make you believe that the rules we have established are believable and you are ready to suspend your own disbelief to engage in all the other madness that we're going to lay out in front of you. And that is with somebody as we we've seen in like later iterations of Roland Emmerich, how that can get out of hand and how you can lose control of that even when you are Roland Emmerich. But in this movie it is so finely in control that this might, I feel like I might as well have been watching like somebody's documentary footage about the end of the fucking world. Just with really (laughs) cool people doing the documenting. And we, we've gotten this far in and we haven't even talked about Jeff Goldblum in the movie. Yeah. Just like, oh my God. You know, again, yeah. just like where the fuck was this concept is so, it, it's so smart and outside of the box to have this, like he's this, uh, you know, a genius from MIT who's kind of doesn't have ambition, his ex is at the White House uh, and and to the the chess metaphor yeah. setting it up mm-hmm. right at the beginning and yep. then it brings it all up into the checkmate. It was like uh, hemming and hawing. Uh, my 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 youngest uh, daughter during the New York scene. Uh, there's all these. <laughs> there's all you know. It's going through and it's him going through New York and it's all those Spielberg reaction shots and then yeah. it's Jeff Goldblum. And she says to me, why does that boy have elf ears? And I (laughs) thought she meant like just an extra. I had no Uh idea what she was talking about. And then later during a really, really, you know, dramatic scene with Jeff Goldblum and his uh, estranged uh, wife. She was like, but why does that boy have elf ears? And I was like, wait, you're talking about You didn't answer me. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. 
Yeah. Uh, I was like, and then I was looking at his ears and Will Smith's ears for the climax. And I was like, they are, they are two very strong eared men. That's a distinctive ear profile. uh, It is very ear centric. (laughs) Their their testosterone and swagger is so high in this movie. Oh my God. When they're walking out from, from the success. And it's such a different level of testosterone. Yeah. Yeah. the, The virility. Of of the two of them together is is quite uh, outstanding. Yeah, that's yeah. Like, testosterone mean, makes your ears and nose and hair. It's all growing. <laughs> yeah, it's all time. growing. <laughs> like Jeff Goldblum, <clears throat> problematic real life person, but uh, yeah. Jeff Goldblum in a tank top in the '90s is one of the most pot- unexpectedly <laughs> potent images. I and mean, it's kind of the word for it is potent. Like, yes, it's you don't ex- you don't see it. It it is the Spanish Inquisition of sexiness. You never see it coming. Never see it coming. Somehow, when he, as soon as they start spraying him down with oil, you're like, yeah, okay, that's it, done, fine. Like, well, and it's is, it should not work, and yet it does. I do want to say. I did not realize when I watched this as a child, but seeing this as an adult now, what a Jewish movie this is. <laughs> like it's very it Jewish. Made by Hands a German. Down, my yes. people represented. This was, <laughs> I would argue, the preeminent Jewish disaster film of all time. I considering your expertise in disaster yes. movies and yeah. the fact of your Judaism. Yeah. I, I don't know who else I could ask to have a better answer on this. I mean, Independence Day, July 4th could be a minor Jewish holiday at this point. <laughs> because of how, I mean, from the minute that you get the, the father and son arguing over a chess set, uh-huh. And so you feel positive. You feel positively about the way Jewish the Jewish people cultural. Me, well, okay. okay. I wouldn't say positively because okay, I, was, I was very like, oh God, this is embarrassing. <laughs> okay. At times. Um, okay. but accurate. Oh, okay. I was gonna oh say my, you, related? Yes. you related. Okay. Okay. I, I related. There was a lot of fetching in this film, and I related <laughs> to the fetching. So yes, yes. Well, and there I, I think, you know, in addition well, to Well, you know, Dean Devlin's half Jewish, right? I didn't know Devlin is uh, is is he's a Filipino Jew. He's a Filipino Jew. He's actually like I'm kind of fascinated with him as as a person in general. Just he starts as this actor. He starts becoming a screenwriter. He gets Universal Soldier made. Wow! And then Stargate and and Independence Day. Um, Wow! So yeah, I was doing a deep dive on him. Winning, winning. Yeah, those, th- those are like his first three movies that wow. he co-wrote with wow. Emmerich. And um, I think he has a cameo at the beginning of the movie. He's the guy playing golf. Okay. Um, and oh, so that's okay. The, that's the actual co-writer of the film. And so I looked it up. His his father was Jewish and his mother was a Filipino actress. Okay. And um, so that actually does explain it. Because I was thinking like, wow, this you know, German guy, because Roland's very German, you yes. know, he was born there and he's doing this great insight into America. And, uh, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's funny how like someone from not from here really sees America right. sort of mm-hmm. for what it is in, in a funny way. Yeah. And, and it kind of, it goes again to my peak theory of Independence <laughs> Day. It's like if America had ended in 1996, <laughs> maybe we would have been better off. Like, uh, you know, you see like there's the the QAnon guys at the end with the president, you know, there's like with the glasses and the beard and you're Uh like, ah, it's hard to celebrate him now. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, oh shit. (laughs) That came came home to roost, didn't it? 
Well, and, and like, the, and we, we talked about this in the context of Greenland too, like the idea of, you know, it, it's interesting living through a disaster, talking about disaster movies and seeing how like, you know, when the people greet the aliens and you're in maybe in 96, you're like, who are these fucking nuts? And then you watch it now, you're like, oh, I know those fucking nuts. There, <laughs> yeah. I see them on the internet all the time. And there are millions of these fucking nuts. Like this is the, the immediate, and we talked about it on the Shin Godzilla episode, how within sort of days of Godzilla showing up and destroying cities, there's the, a brief cutaway scene to where you hear like marchers in the streets being like, save Gojira, save Gojira, like, like protect the God on earth. And there is immediately a cult has risen around protecting Godzilla. Immediately the people are like, let's go greet the aliens, get on top of that building, hell yeah. Like, oh yeah, no, that's real. That would, ha- that would immediately happen. Nobody, and I'm not saying like greet the aliens with hostility, but any kind of measured curiosity would be forsaken in terms of like, oh, the, the comet has arrived, the spaceship is behind it and we're all getting on and going kind of thing. But that also that LA stuff, like for me, cause I, you know, I'm growing up in uh, the South shore of Massachusetts. It okay. like totally hit all of the stereotypes of yeah. LA, oh, yeah. you know, like, oh, like I was like, oh yeah, LA people are crazy. Like, yeah. they, they, they would do all that. And I think Fair. that's again, that, that, that Roland's the outsider. He can kind of see what all mm-hmm. of our different uh, stereotypes are for each part of the country yeah. and play them up to 10. Yeah. And, and so like, you know, they even have that little cutaway. Uh, please stop shooting your guns at, yes, the, at the alien uh, spaceship. <laughs> you may start an interstellar, interstellar war. war. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my God. That was it's so true. with the graphic that had the handgun and the oh my God. It's <laughs> yeah. so I got no one roasts LA like Roland Emmerich roasts LA. <laughs> yeah, truly. Like, he was he, having so much fun at the start of 2012. Fuck in this place. Oh my God. Yeah. With he Randy's just, donuts rolling across mm-hmm. the screen where Randy's donuts does not exist, but he wants to put that iconography in there. Yeah. yeah. Or or just yeah, having Gordon be in 2012 be a plastic surgeon and like yeah. they're, the they're at a Gelson's in Westwood. And it's like you you really have our number. And <laughs> we're not wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, he Roland Emmerich sees California in a way that I would argue no other filmmaker does and finds us wanting. Um, but like affectionately so, but definitely. Uh, also day after tomorrow when he just is like, well, I think that you you guys need really is is to have a tornado rip apart the Hollywood side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. And that part, it, it's so funny in that shot because we'd always reference it because it's not even the point of the scene. It's just like, hey, let's take it out the Hollywood side. Yeah, right. yeah. It's, like it's like, let's spend whatever money it costs to do this because I want to do this. Like yeah. this one's coming out of my pocket. I Don't worry, I'll cover this but one. I, the, the thing about this, movie compared to those but compared to the way the reason why i think id4 is the peak compared to the other ones is that it makes total logical sense that those uh, landmarks are getting destroyed you know the ship is going around it's going to go over all these power centers and it's going to blow them up Whereas, like, again, sometimes the, the logic is just like, look out the window that this tornado hates the Hollywood side. Yeah. It's like, okay. It's not. <laughs> yeah. And is I, I, tell us, is, weather is famously, famously sentient. We know yeah, this from weather holds vendettas. I would argue, though, that I one of the things I love about where all the alien spacecrafts land is that they do land over iconic things everywhere around the world, except for in Los Angeles, where it lands over the bank tower, <laughs> which is of, at, which like, if, if, if the aliens are like, we're going to take Angelinos, if you don't give us exactly what we want, we're going to take out your most beloved landmark. And we'd all be like pink hot dogs. 
No, yeah. there are huge fans of the Guns N' Roses music video. Oh, okay. uh, Don't You Cry Tonight. I think that was blasting <laughs> out into the cosmos. Sure. And they were like, this is obviously the peak of this Los the- Angeles <laughs> culture. Yeah, we yeah. got it, you guys. Like, and actually, I would have almost expected them to put, put it over Nakatomi Tower, if anything. Right. Because like, this is this technically- is a very important building in their culture. It's a Fox movie. I was going to say, it's a Fox opportunity. movie. It could have been Nakatomi Tower. <laughs> and that would have made more sense to me. Because again, I was like, as I was just like, sure, the U.S. Bank Tower is tall. I guess I just love the idea that the aliens were scheming and trying to think of like a place that they could hit in Los <laughs> Angeles, and they couldn't think of Disney t- uh, Disneyland. Yeah, <laughs> they're like no, Universal they're... Studios. Nope, no. no. Universal. If Universal Studios got taken out, we'd all be like, eh, Amanda's I mean, like, I wouldn't even notice. <laughs> yeah, Universal Studios, like the, the Beverly Center, scale. wishes that the, a disaster <laughs> would target the Beverly Center. <laughs> That's why yeah. volcano holds up as the peak as the peak for uh and it just misses. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. The, 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 the just get misses. in the LA River. Yeah. <laughs> I have to I like it, it I there's nothing there there are few images in in fantasy um science fiction cinema that sweep me away more in, in all of cinema than wide shots of alien technology, of huge alien technology. Mm-hmm. Like nothing will just eat throughout my life, I suspect, fill me with more awe. Because when you get those wide shots, the the effects are like, nothing looks rubbery. Like when it's just sort of sitting still and you observe it, it's just the perfect use of special effects. When you, like I remember watching the first Force Awakens trailer. And when you mm-hmm. see the, I think it's one of the Imperial cruisers crashed in, in the desert in Jakku. And it's just sort of hazy in the distance. And when in, um oblivion when you see those wide shots of the water sucking like floating towers over the ocean and in arrival when the alien craft is just like floating gorgeously over the landscape and this movie when you see those huge ships just parked over cities it feels so true it feels so real to me I really do like in my brain thinks if I walked outside I would look over and I would see it approaching right now it looks so I mean, that that's the that's movie magic like this movie epitomizes that most acute form of movie magic to me. It fully tricks my brain. It 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 it, I am I am in the bag for it. It is crazy how much my brain buys in. It's the best thing ever in movies is that image. They do such an excellent job of scale in the movie. Yeah. Um, And and that stuff's really, really hard. I mean, I've had these. The ships in our movies like change size all the time because you realize like, you know, eh, you know, we kind of needed to move a little faster in the scene. Yeah. And if it's going to be like this mile wide thing, yeah. it's, that's mm-hmm. going to be too slow and it's not that exciting. Um, but they, they're the speed of which they come. I mean, the big arrival thing cutting through the atmosphere in, oh, in New York yeah. is just and, and again great Spielberg reaction shots. You know, the yeah. one with, the, with mm-hmm. the kids playing basketball and then you have the kind of businessman coming up in between them. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great, like, smart little camera tricks like that. I think the the general at uh, at, 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 to- at Toho with the, the cigar in his mouth, and it turns and it falls halfway out of his yeah. mouth. It's yeah. like yeah. <laughs> many of those little moments. The car pile up, the, the, the car accident sequence that happens when you have in New York, like seven cars that just slam into each other, one after mm-hmm. another, after mm-hmm. another, and then a cop on horseback. Yeah. <laughs> it is just... 
Like there's no, you watch and it just keeps going. You're like, yes, this is real, but also what a fantastic, like this, the, the excess is perfect. I mean, it's it ultimately is. why I will can, it's why I continue to show up for Transformers movies. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a sucker for that stuff, but like there is even in, I think it's in number four when Mark Wahlberg is making his first appearance in the franchise. And there is, uh-huh. there is that shot of the, the baddie of the, of the, of the day. He's like doing his slow walk. It's a fucking huge Transformers unit is like slow walk down a road. And from above him, a transformer ship breaks through like a cloud bank and appears above him. And I'm like, they cast aliens is what I'm hearing right now. Like what I'm seeing is this is not special effects. They found fucking Autobots and Decepticons and they recruited them to come here and paid them to work in this movie. And they brought their ship and they filmed it because yeah. there's no possible other way you could explain to me what I'm seeing right now. We, we can't, we can't be capable of these kinds of visual effects to make me so sure that this, what I'm seeing is real. Like that will keep me coming back to a garbage franchise time and time again is if you can trick my brain like that i, I like I, I, my whole thing on the transformers movies is that he did five movies and i feel like if you just re-edited the five movies into like a nine episode series of oh, like cool. 90 minute episodes it would be so much more enjoyable yeah that is not like, a bad idea at, like at all. part four ends with that chicago that whole chicago sequence and uh and it's like, I, I remember the theater being like, I got my money's worth. And then I was yeah. like, so there was like another hour left. You know, yeah. there, there, there was 90 minutes. And I was like, okay. And it just kept going. And I remember the end, like by the time the Imagine Dragons came, my, my head was <laughs> mean. I was like in pain. I felt like that was one of the most sensory bludgeonings of a film was, was yes. uh, Transformers 4. And I was like, I, I just feel like maybe if we had, could just cut these into these smaller chunks. Uh, <laughs> it would be uh, a more delightful way to more of a tapas, a Transformers tapas, please. These, HBO, these HBO Max, much. give us the series cut of Transformers <laughs> along with the the Snyder cut. Mini I was about series. to say this is the opposite of the Snyder. Cut. Yes, this, this is the is, opposite yeah. of the Snyder cut. This is the anti Bay cut of the Transformers movies. I I would be fully down for that, especially after Bumblebee like really yes. got me back into that franchise. I'm like, I, I would love a, a better version of those movies. <laughs> I uh I think too a, a neat I think we need to hit just on about streamline gold. them a little and spread them out. Just spread them out, yeah. Sorry. Um, no, 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 not at all. Um, I think uh, a thing we need to hit on with Goldblum that is important to the '90s aspect of this is how much Jeff Goldblum made science mm-hmm. the hero in the '90s between Doctor Ian Malcolm, the like chaos. What is he? Theoretician? Chaos theorist. Chaos theorist in Jurassic Park. And then his role in this as the just like world saving academic. And at the time we weren't like, like stars were not physically so gargantuan as they are today. So men could look normal and be heroes. And you just have the two most like in shape, but physically like attainably normal looking pair, you know, walking with their their jumpsuits on, their flight suits on between (laughs) Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum. And you have swaggering skinny Han Solo and swaggering skinny science academic guy. And they're the ones who have brought the world back from the brink. And that 
is the thing I love about disaster movies because you don't have to be Hugh Jackman size. It doesn't matter if you're Hugh Jackman size. If a meteor is coming crashing toward the earth, unless you're going to punch it, like that's not going to do anything for it. So the disaster movie is the great equalizer in terms of like the unattainable body archetype that has really surfaced in action cinema that is the sort of arc, like physical form of the day. The disaster movie, the world ending disaster movie does not care how much you can military yeah. press. Yeah, it, uh, which uh, funny thing about Jeff Goldblum, I know, um, there's another podcast, uh, Who Who Weekly, which they ah. commented on this a few weeks ago about how Jeff Goldblum has like a weird tendency to do films about DNA because he's done <laughs> The Fly, Jurassic Park, and then he starred in the biopic about Watson and Crick. I'm science. Science. And yeah, if you need... <laughs> If you needed in the 90s a scientist who also made you a little tingly, like you went to Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> That's just where you go. Because yes, you do, you want someone who is, he has a weird, unexplainable charisma that offsets, that complements a brawn charisma. Of yeah. Will Smith. Like, cause Will Smith's got like a charisma, but he's also got like a, a swaggery brawn. Yeah, there's a, there's a machismo about, yeah. about Will Smith, an alpha quality. Yeah, and, and, You've got the the goodwill hunting brain aspect of yes. Je- of Jeff Goldblum. That's what he's got going for him, and it's just a really, I mean, it's a genius combination. But in particular, <laughs> it is a combination that Jeff Goldblum, weirdly with DNA, was just like obsessed with in the '90s. Who knew? Um, but also, like through he also otherwise this film kind of plays a dickhead, like yeah. with his ex wife. Like fuck, he punched the president of the United States. <laughs> That's true. He did punch the president. He punched the president of the United States because he didn't like that. He thought his wife was having an affair with him instead <laughs> of being that his wife was just like ambitious and going to go about and, and be successful. <laughs> I, I really, I, I, I think a, an aspect too of the reality of this movie is that Bill Pullman's character, like his president can, he does, he feels aspirational. Yes but he does feel real. He feels possible. Like he feels like an attainable goal of a leader. And this is like, this movie comes out almost right before the West Wing comes out. Mm -hmm. Like President Bill Pullman and President Martin Sheen are sort of cut from the same cloth of this like 90s, optimism with like core values probably slightly conservatism like president josiah is like a religious man and you feel like bill pullman like if bill pullman's a biden guy like bill pullman's president in this is a centrist he's a biden yes. guy. He, he wants to yes. work across the aisle and i feel like i was trying to think of it when 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 vivica a fox says to the first lady i voted for the other guy i was like what other guy there's no like yeah there's no she's voting for the republican yeah i couldn't figure out out what like could is bill pullman a republican is he a democrat no he's neither he is yeah he is vanilla like i can't i imagine he ran uncontested because as far as i can tell he is nothing except for a really nice head of hair, but God, I would love him to be the president with that really nice head of hair. Like, I'm not questioning it. Well, and like, and in the context of 1996, does the other guy mean like some kind of Bob Dole avatar? Yeah. Like, what the fuck does the other guy yeah. mean in the context of 1996? It's like, Vivica, were you really feeling Bob Dole's platform? Was like Ross Perot really speaking well, look, to you at I the mean- time? <laughs> It, it, maybe it was George, it was, it was George H, you know, she yeah. just kind of was, you know, going for the, 
the tax cut. I don't know. Yeah, Vivica yeah. Was the, the devil, the devil you know. She was going with the devil you know versus the devil that you don't. She's a small, you know. I just did a quick Google. I just did a quick Google to make sure. And it's also, it's pre-Lewinsky. So that's yeah. another interesting. Wow, uh, yeah. Again, peak. It's like, it, it was like when mm-hmm. Clinton was still like, this guy's going to do it, man. And he had been, you know, turning yeah. a lot of things around. Obviously, in hindsight, could have been better. Could have been but better, at yeah. At the time, mm-hmm. it was like, okay, we're going into our second term. This guy's kind of uh, rebuilt uh, America after. Yeah, it know, was some roaring years. 90s in a way. Yes, yes. So I think that was also, and I remember they talked about being nervous showing it to, to Clinton because they had that McLaughlin group line where it was like, they voted for a warrior and they got a wimp. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the guys were like, like Bill feels a little point. The McLaughlin group. I can't oh, imagine shit. any president enjoying this film more than Bill Clinton. <laughs> yeah. That's maybe George yeah. W. Bush would have like chuckled delighted. Like he would have also really enjoyed it, but oh, I think he, did. Bill he loved Clinton, it. I think yeah. he would have seen himself a lot in Will Smith in this movie. George G.W.? Yeah, like oh no, I think GW would have been like been like yeah, a hundred percent yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but Bill Clinton, I think absolutely like Bill cracked a beer, loved this film. Yeah, he clapped real hard at the Welcome to Earth punch. Like they requested it to be screened before it came out. Like it screened <laughs> at the White House like before it was out. He he was so fucking pumped to see it. Uh, apparently, the government. The government didn't cooperate with them because of the Area 51 stuff. So like they were all set and they're like, can you change that? Which gives, uh, we haven't really talked too much about that, but I feel like it's another reason why it's such a peak disaster movie to me because it it does the full on disaster movie, but then it has a really nerdy fucking act too. Yeah, And it goes in to some conspiracy theory stuff that was so huge for us in the 90s. Oh my God, yeah. They they name out X-Files and stuff like that. But it was like, it's not, it has a very mainstream setup and then it gets very fucking dorky. And I love that. And it it actually leads us along a structure and a plan to do something about it, which again, none of Roland's um, movies that came after this ever have a plan that it like kind of satisfies <laughs> yeah right uh, solving the problem in a, mm-hmm. in in the same way that this one does i think that's why it is that that peak is that you know it it brings you into this this nerdy thing that then we get all this backstory that mm-hmm. you never would have imagined was going to be in this movie the fact that i remember the first time i showed it to my brother i got the vhs when it came out, the lenticular covered VHS. Oh, yep, and, yep. Uh, and uh, and he was kind of, you know, he's a, he was in, uh, like a Juilliard actor, not into this type of thing at all. I was like, okay, I'll give it a, a shot. And when it went to Area 51, he was like, this is really fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> it just got so much nerdier than he was expecting. Um, and, and what I was saying was like the reality index, you know, that there, there's a big jump. The biggest, I'd say the, the, the biggest jump is the cold, you know, it's, yeah, it's gold, it's gold bloom drunk in his wife beater. Yeah. As we mm-hmm. talked about, uh, sorry, tank top. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And, and, in 1996, uh, definitely it was, it was the wife, wife beater, beater at the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, and he immediately sobers up and then comes up with the plan to save uh, the <clears throat> earth, which I love. Yeah. I always love that. Uh, but then I, I was just making the joke that like last night I was like, man, my, my iPhone does not talk to my Android TV. 
but you know his his yeah. Apple PowerBook can talk to this alien technology. Yeah, That's yeah. yeah. It, it it has it is it is accounted for such obsolete technology as to be in communication with his 1996 compute uh, Earthbound technology, like our as primitive much tech. shit talking as people do on that. Like, think about being in the room. These guys wrote this movie in a month in a hotel yeah. room in Mexico. Oh my that god. Is, fucking brilliant solution it is a brilliant solution that they were able to come up with that and that it worked and that it made a billion dollars around the world like, <laughs> like it's just a bravo it's just a bravo thing that they're able to come up with something even that plausible and yeah, everyone so. fucking cheered and uh, applauded in America. After <laughs> America. Spoil. So, as a spoiler alert, um, I have a headcanon that I've come up with with this film about why the virus works on the computers. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I've, is that going to be part of? That's is that going to be my, part of your what this movie really yeah. is about? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. It, it, it all comes together. But so please don't let me forget that aspect of it because I don't have that in my notes. But yes, I do actually <laughs> all ties together. But yeah, I, I mean, the fact that they then integrate the that the hero is a hacker, which again, 96, like we've got yeah. Jurassic Park with, you know, it's a I lot, mean, the I movie hackers, the movie yeah. hackers. Yeah, it's just like the 90s, we just thought anybody with a computer could access any mainframe. Any mainframe, a mainframe. It was all yeah. about the mainframe. And My uh, understanding of this has not progressed since then, by the no, way. No, not so at this all. Is, this is where, this is where I'm at. I, all I know is that Damn. now there's there's also bitcoins in the mainframe. That's all yeah. I got. Like as far as I understand, little gold sonic rings in the mainframe that you can run through really yeah. fast and collect them, and that's how you get rich now. Yeah, you lo you loop in like Johnny Mnemonic. You yeah. go collect the bit sonic coins, and you come out of the mainframe, and you're rich. That's that's my yeah. That's what happened <laughs> this last week with GameStop. Is just, <laughs> yeah, that's my understanding. Uh, but I love, I love how I, I love that they they even have the little pirate graphic to show that all of the aliens have been hacked and that the aliens are like, what's going on? This yeah. is weird. Why is there a chuck? Like, is that the best way he could have done this? Probably mm -hmm. not. That was an extra few minutes of coding he didn't need to add in. Yeah. <laughs> like, why did he? He like, I love that he decided to not just hack and shut down all of their all of their security systems mm -hmm. or their 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 force fields, but mm -hmm. also he's like, no, but I want them to know it was me. I want to troll them. Yeah, I want to troll them. I don't want them to not know what's wrong. I want them to know something is actively wrong with their <laughs> systems. Full, that, that was a choice, and it was—it's a real one threat. I, I, I appreciate it. I love, I love the 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 there. We get just enough physical, tangible alien to yeah. like really feast on it, but not have too much time to like. They don't have to do so much that mm -hmm. the limits right. of their creation kind of like take us out of of the of the believability of it and like when you just see like the little alien head like look kind of confused yes! on that ship i i love the you know because it's all we're all making this shit up so the yeah. i i love the what be, in lack of any other way of imagining or or being able yeah. to like the way we impart humanity onto aliens so like we get that that great moment of like alien confused like like his little head tilts. Yeah. It's like, yeah, he makes the he makes the universal sign for confusion. He tilts his little head to the side. Like, I loved, I love that that alien. I was like, oh, he's just a bait. Like, I love that it was basically an air traffic controller. Right. Yeah. Yeah, like, he's got like and cigarettes like, on the desk. It's, yeah. Yeah. He's like having coffee he's stains. He's in his eight hour shift, and he's like, oh, this is gonna be so many days of paperwork, and then yeah. instead he gets blown up. Yeah. Like, he's, like I love. 
this movie I didn't appreciate I hadn't when I, I I didn't see Star Wars until like right before the prequels came out so I didn't appreciate at the time how much of this film feels like a cousin to the Star Wars films in a lot of mm. ways mm-hmm. like the dog fights are just as I was watching the 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 first dog fight when you've got Will Smith you know trying to outrun and yeah and inexplicably Harry Connick Jr. calling I was, him got, I was waiting for it I was waiting for it I'm ready I, I'm ready to talk about Harry I, we gotta <laughs> talk about we do have to circle back to Harry because what it's a true. what a truly unhinged performance in the best way possible. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like that dog fight, that first dog fight, and they're like, and the lasers are shooting, and I'm like, holy shit! This you know is what 14 years after um, after the uh, sorry the, last, the yeah. empire uh, empire no it's the Jedi. Jedi Return, Return of the Jedi, Jedi. The sorry one, yeah. yeah it's like it's 14 years after Return of the Jedi. Well, so even being in that desert is, landscape like that too, yeah. it gives you the sense of that like alien world pod racer kind of yeah. aesthetic. It's great. And then, but then to then have that scene of that poor alien who I imagine is like, has the equivalent alien name of like Joe. Yeah, that's Jim. Yeah. <laughs> and he just like, and he's sitting there and he's like, God, I got to fill out that that card for the, the office birthday. And yeah. then- <laughs> the ships show up and things are weird. Yeah. And it was such like that alien I felt could have so easily been pulled out of the, anything in the Star Wars universe where you see so many aliens just doing like, aliens are bartenders. In yeah. Star Wars. Right. Aliens yeah. just have jobs and that's yeah. like a thing. Where you see a droid just get really mad at a human being because it brings them a broken ship and exasperated robots just being like, why have you ruined my day? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I love exasperated cyborgs, by the way. One of my favorite screen characters. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I love you're that right. that's what we get is we just get this little brief moment of like a regular Joe alien whose day is about to get totally fucked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's just, he's just, he's just a work. He's a working stiff. That's all he is. Yeah. But I do also like the, the genius, the, the, who would have thought that the pairing of Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum would be that kind of ke- like out, like amazing chemistry. And, and that it there only would happens have... in the last yeah. 40 minutes of the movie. Yeah. It, they're, you know, you've got an hour and a half before they pair up and then it's the, uh, uh, you you really think you can fly those things? And then, yeah. Like, you know, and then they were onto it. I yeah. was like, I, I paused it when that happened. I was like, oh my God, I didn't realize they're only together for, you know, this last chunk. It's well, and as you said, preceding that, we have the pairing of Harry Connick Jr. Yeah. And Will Smith. Did you guys immediately Google him and be like, why isn't he in more movies? Because that was like my first thing. My wife and I, she was like, he's so good in this. My <laughs> mom loves Harry Connick Jr. So it was a very big deal for us when Harry Connick Jr. was in movies. Mm-hmm. So like this was, this was, oh, my mom was just so swept away by Harry Connick Jr. in this He's in kind this of movie. doing the, pre, the pre-Marvel the thing. Mm-hmm. Like this feels like he's like, he could, that character could walk he into could a have. Guardians movie or yeah. an Avengers movie and be- Right in step with no everybody. in a movie about aliens, he's at a 10 <laughs> from the minute. Like, he, I love that he like, I didn't realize it was Harry Connick Jr. when I walked, and I actually, after when he kept saying Big Daddy, and I was like, this is almost making me uncomfortable. <laughs> Big Daddy, why is he playing it like this? And then I googled, and I was like, oh, it's Harry Connick Jr. And suddenly I was like, oh, okay, that's not an accent, that's his voice, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> But in a movie, you thought I, this was a creative decision. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is the weirdest character choice I've ever been. Roland Emmerich was just like, 
Yeah, go with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, it's sexy. I like it. Yeah, like, I don't yeah. know. It was weird. Be a lounge singer. Be a yeah. lounge singer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I love that he was like, I got to play opposite Will Smith. I'm going to top Will Smith's energy. Yes. I'm going to, yeah. He does, which is unhinged. <laughs> I, I love it. It's insane. <laughs> And he's in it for just the right amount of time. So small, so small. <laughs> yeah, they have they have great physicality together too. He's they always do. like yeah. putting his head on his shoulder and proposing <laughs> yeah. to her. Yeah. Oh, which by the way, do is it time to talk about the dolphin ring? Oh my god! The oh my ring. god! The, the dolphin ring. ring. In the cinema. That's right. That was like the move. Like that was like I got this for her, and he's like, "Wow, bro, <laughs> that's beautiful." It's like. <laughs> in an alternate universe right but now it, uh, it's it became a thing and it sold really well and i want someone to do the analytics like give me the big massive article i want interviews of people give us how many people divorced after they got a dolphin ring like how successful is the legacy of the dolphin ring oh, wow. the history because i love it it's got such a vacation like a hotel gift shop look <laughs> yeah to it. i love it so much i love that it's i love that this is a character detail that they clearly wrote it into the into the script yeah. that she loves dolphins like <laughs> Do we think that Roland loves this ring so much that he wanted to incorporate the ring in the script <laughs> and that's why he made the character detail that she loves? He's like, any way I can do this. Any way I can do this. Because that's like, a great that's a really specific, that's not a thing <laughs> so that you'd be specific. like, yeah. Because any other time, if you want to be like, wow, you really love this girl, it would be a big diamond. And he'd be like, yeah, this was six months of my salary, but you know. Right, yeah. But I don't think I'm going to marry her. Like that's... Or maybe like maybe a stone that she loves that's not at like she loves garnet. So I got her like a big red. It, it's like she really loves dolphins. It's like oh, she's got a thing for dolphins, man. Yeah, <laughs> which doesn't sound sexual at all. Like that doesn't sound able to interpret in any one direction or another. And it's just, just it's it's well, so it, and like and that's that's the thing of a of an like disaster movies in the 90s especially and it's it's one of the beautiful things about the genre generally but in the 90s especially especially before we were doing irony it's just so sincere yeah. everything happening is so sincere so when you get a dolphin ring put into the middle of an extremely sincere 90s disaster movie it's like this is only genuine this is only genuine right now. <laughs> this was a this is a heartfelt intentional decision. Mm -hmm. But like if the oral history of Independence Day means that there's like a, a real true story that nobody knows about the dolphin ring, I want to hear that. Yeah, I we deserve a deep dive for like the tw for the, what will be the 30th anniversary. We're going to deserve a deep dive know. of the dolphin ring. I, I was just going to say, uh, like, a character having a dolphin ring would be, like, a great comedic detail in, like, a Noah Baumbach movie or something now. Yes. Like, like a, a divorced widow, and she has the independence Oh, I can completely have imagined a moment in Lady Bird where, like, like Beanie Feldstein right. and Saoirse Ronan, like, give each other best friend dolphin rings. And it would be <laughs> this, like, kooky millennial thing that they did. It, I mean... Like, I love it. I could also see in in Pen Fifteen them both having dolphin rings because that is yes. the peak. Like the '90s were truly a pinnacle of bad movie jewelry. Yeah, like like, dol like butterfly there. clips, oh. sparkly butterfly yeah. clips, and dolphin rings. There's a woman out there who has a dolphin okay. ring and a heart of the ocean necklace, and those are her prized possessions. <laughs> <laughs>
Like it's it, so it, true. You buy them. You saw the ad in the back of Newsweek. They're forty nine ninety nine, and you can get it. Big time. And you can get it. <laughs> so and I love from, that Harry Connick. Ring. I, I just I love that I love that Harry Connick's character really is. Ca- he thinks it's the classiest, most beautiful ring, and a char- that character I believe. A hundred percent. Oh yeah. Thinks that that is the classiest, most romantic ring he's ever seen. Yeah. I was going to get into the Vivica A. Fox's character. Yeah. Oh yeah. You guys think like, what, what, what is the movie judge? It feels like it's judging her quite a bit, but also she's a hero and she has all these great moments. Like I, I, I wanted to hear your perspective on it. It feels like a very, to me, it feels like a sort of very male. It like, I did feminism kind of thing because like yeah. it, it it isn't it like isn't fully understanding how to be sex positive about like right. being mm-hmm. uh, being like a, an exotic dancer, but at the same time like it does because like there is that moment between her and the president's yeah wife where she you know oh I'm a dancer ah mm, the ballet and, she, <laughs> and she's like no exotic and they're like the you know the president's wife kind of like. Eh, all right. Well, like oh, no, it, the it, president's it, wife says, "Like, oh, I'm sorry." Which yeah, is an yeah, yes, that's, 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 Oh, I'm I'm sorry. And Vivica Fox, that I was like, yeah. no, I love that Vivica Fox is like, don't be. It pays well. Yeah, I do. You know, I do it for my son. It pays well. We see that it pays well. She's got a house in, I would assume, yeah. like Eagle Rock, that has a gorgeous view of downtown. Yeah, like the movie does not. The movie's pretty. Like, there's no need for her to be an exotic dancer, right? But I appreciate that it never takes it into a territory that's well, like the tragic story of this it, exotic, like that she's a sad exotic dancer. I was going to say, there isn't a, it doesn't give some sort of like, well, you know, when I got out of my broken home and my dad hit me and like, I didn't really like know what I was supposed to do. So I just started dancing and I never stopped. Like it didn't root her being a dancer in some bad thing that happened to her. She just is a dancer. And this hoity toity white woman is like, oh, I'm sorry. That's a value yes. judgment thing. And she's like, not really. Like I live my life. I get my money. And so it's like, I would love to know how much he thought that exchange through versus how much it was just like, oh, this is intuitive for us. Like this feels right because it 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 seems to, I, I, I like, do I give it the credit of being a moment that examines white privilege and that examines like the faulty point of view on being, uh, you know, having your body be your job that might be looked askance, looked, looked upon in an askance way by someone like, you know, white elitists you know the occupants of the white house like is it is it potent enough to be that kind of commentary or is it a confused statement on the validity of of sex work or or exotic dance as a profession it's very because vivica fox is she's fucking cool like i remember when i was little i was like i like i want like this lady's rad like she's gorgeous and will you love will smith's character so much by the end and he is just absolutely enamored of her like she feels like an aspirational figure like you you want a life that this woman has and so and she's so embodied and she has that swagger that only Vivica A. Fox could have it's it's I I it's it's a surprising moment that I don't know fully how I see how various ways it could go but I truly don't know where the intention puts it no I and I I I think you're right though because obviously his arc is 
Um, you were saying you, the thing you said was you were like, yeah, I think the arc of it is. Yeah, I do. I do think the, the arc of it. It was. It's just because we we're talking about the ring and the. I don't know about NASA's hiring practices, but that's right. the interesting thing. But you know, I was like, there. Why is it NASA's business who you're married to? But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Like, what is that? What is that about? Uh, but yeah, he he. At the end, I should have married her a long time ago, and mm. uh, the double the double wedding scene. Really, really good disaster yeah. day, disaster movie moment. Uh, You're right. Bringing them all together. So, I, yeah, I, I do agree with you. I do think it is, uh, it, it is, it is a, a a positive thing that they're commenting on. But as far as uh, who knows, 1996, like white privilege and all all that stuff. Right, and I think too, like, and in in the like in a, a very kind of like ah, the schlubby guys come around sort of way, which isn't like super like isn't the best thing but at the in the end of the day the message like for how the relationships come back around for both Jeff Goldblum's character and Will Smith's is that like yeah they were wrong the whole time in the way that either they drove these women away or they didn't they didn't fully appreciate them enough to hold them as close as they could like Will Smith saying like I should have married her a long time ago and Will Smith real and, and Jeff Goldblum realizing that like he totally pissed this life away with his amazing wife who by, you know, through her, her grace takes him back. And so ultimately like it takes them saving the world for them to become the men that are good enough to be with these women, which as a testament of like sort of a Herculean challenge of proving your worth to a woman, I will accept saving the whole fucking planet as like, all right, you've demonstrated that you are a man of measure who I will say yes to for the rest of my life. I will take that as sort of like a crazy sci-fi act of chivalry that like justifies the earning of the maiden's hand, I suppose. Absolutely. Now, do we feel like we're ready to sort of talk, like get up to that finale and and sort of wind ourselves down? I do think I do want to touch on the one of the all time great um, acts of self-sacrifice in cinema, which is Randy Quaid going into the beam. I mean, what a moment. I Mm -hmm. was weeping. I was a mess. I was a mess. I remember that stunning me as a kid being like, but he died like he doesn't yeah. like in my head I was like those characters get redemption that's how yep. this works like he doesn't just abandon his kids he comes back a hero that's how that is mm-hmm. but I felt so bad for him when he stands up when he's telling everybody when he's like getting ready for pilot training yeah and, and then he's like and I just want to say you know I was abducted and I'm ready to fight them mm-hmm. and everyone's looking like what is this guy on about and you're like dude you're all getting ready to fight aliens you're fighting and aliens. you don't believe this man was abducted by them like are you fuck that's a bridge too far for all of you that 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 is a permanent thing that bothers me about movies when when stakes are introduced where we have clearly entered a new realm of understanding for what is possible in x world and then you still have all these doubters being like are you being crazy it's like we just saw a fucking ghost and agree it was a ghost what do you mean the presence of the devil is a bridge too far like we've entered the spiritual part like part of our journey here so the idea that you could be about ready to fight aliens aliens have obliterated parts of the earth and people would still be like what do you mean you were taken it's like probably by them who the fuck else do you think took him like are you kidding me we're gonna be skeptics now that and i hate that as a thing that just crops up in movies because it's like no fuck all of you we are our realm of understanding has been shifted yeah i cannot abide the skeptics returning to this conversation 
Did you guys uh, do any research about how that scene originally was that they shot? No. So I would love to hear about it. Originally, he was was kicked out of the pilot school. They said, you know, you're you're a drunk. Uh, No, thank you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The very end, everyone's all out of missiles, and the fucking biplane, the red biplane, came out with a missile strapped to the back, and he was like, "Oh my god!" And everyone's like, "Clear a path for him, boys!" And he went into the ship in the fucking red biplane, and they're like, (laughs) "Oh my god!" And they said that test audiences like actually thought it was funny, but it wasn't emotional. So that okay, yeah, that was wow, wow. So he would have like he would he fully would not have been participating in the battle, but he was like, I'm gonna long game this and I'm gonna go get in the little biplane. I'm gonna I'm gonna strap a missile to it and I'm gonna end this shit. Yeah, you can totally see how it yeah, works because wow. you know that yeah. that that most of the the sequence was shot with that as the intention, and you could see how that <laughs> yeah. would work. Um, totally. It's yeah, just... because he's mo- he's not in most of that sequence, so that makes no. perfect sense now in retrospect. Holy yeah. shit, that's genius. <laughs> I mean, I totally see how it was like, no, we super enjoyed that. But like, it kind of took me out of like, I didn't cry. And I think I was supposed to because that yeah. was just sort of crazy. Do me a favor. Tell my children I love them very much. I got I got the little ah, like it just chokes you up. I don't mm-hmm. it, It's just it's a pitch. It's a pitch perfect line and delivery from another that, problematic fave. There's a couple oh, problematic yeah. faves in this movie. Yeah, from, yeah, from a problematic <laughs> man. But also in this film, you're watching it, you're like, Randy could just be playing Randy. Like Randy yeah, could have shown up on set Randy and that just might be Randy. Uh, I mean, I, I, the, I appreciate the, the, how many of the Quaid family Roland's employed though. Like <laughs> way to keep giving the Quaid's paychecks, buddy. I, the, the look on his face and the way that it is lit mm. and the way that it plays out when he mm-hmm. shouts, hello boys, I'm back. And <laughs> it's just like, holy shit, man. Like mm-hmm. what a, the every man triumphs. Like it, you yeah. have, you have skinny nerd and skinny, skinny pilot in space. And then you have like blue collar, probably in 2021 parlance QAnon guy, um, just coming in to save the day with like, He's he's resolved. He knows that this is how he can be the best father to his kids. He knows this is how he can make good and protect them. And he just with abandon. This is the opposite of the end of Pandora, the nuclear meltdown Korean movie that we watched. Mm-hmm. The like sobbing, snot filled, horribly, like incredibly gut wrenchingly sad confession of like I don't want to die into a into a camera at the end of that movie. This is like. American exceptionalism. I embrace my cowboy demise. This is my blaze of glory. This is my John Wayne moment. And I say, fuck yeah, aliens, let's dance. Let's dance. Even his his Keanu knockoff son is like pretty happy that he did it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Yeah. you're right. You're right. He's not going to like depress drink about talking about how his dad died in this. He's going to like be at bars and there's going to be many like holding your hand up silently for like the round at the bar being like for dad. For dad, yeah. and yeah. like, like everybody's taking back gonna three drink. days earlier, what was the best possible outcome of his dad's life? It was like this was this was obviously the one percent best possible <laughs> yeah. thing yes. that could have happened in the next three days. That is absolute. <laughs> that is absolutely true. And yeah. you know, Morgan Freeman has been you know a president of record so many times. Problematic Morgan Freeman um, has been a, a, a president of record so many times. But I don't know. That there is a there's a president speech uh, that, no. that has ever surpassed. No. I, I think Bill Pullman's is still it's the speech of record. Today is our Independence Day. I mean, wow. Yeah, 
No, you wow. have you have that delivered delivered so perfectly. Bill Pullman is one of my great what ifs of the nineties <laughs> actors. Okay, okay, okay. Because I, I want to hear it. Well, because I feel like he's so underutilized in the nineties, and he's so good. And I just it's one of those ones where I'm like it something was just not quite there to catapult him into that astrological level of fame. But like I mean, I don't this, know if that was an option receiving... for Bill Pullman as oh, right. much as and that's him my... just being perfectly Bill Pullman. But because he was think... busy as shit. In he the was 90s. busy as shit, but he still has a big "Hey, it's that guy" energy. But like sure. this, while you were sleeping, like there's so much about. And then in Bill Pullman, he uh, or in Bill Pullman in Spaceballs, he does a fantastic oh god Harrison yeah. Ford impression. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Lodestar. <laughs> he's so good. And so and he lost highway. He's a dad in Casper. Like he's, yeah, he's, he's a nineties no. icon. He's a nineties icon, but I don't, I feel like there was something like, I feel like he could have been catapulted onto another level. And it just, there was always like a train that just, and the way that like in the, if, if what's his name? Uh, Ryan Reynolds hadn't gotten Deadpool. Right. I, I see what you're saying. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like where you'd be like, oh, Brian Reynolds, like he does a ton of movies, but he's never like that upper echelon opens a movie. Like sure. Box office opener. I think we have to take into consideration too that like at, at no point was like, and not not in the way that we didn't fetishize this as much in the 90s, but like there was a moment where the Ryan Reynolds body when mm-hmm. Amityville Horror came out was like the definitive Hollywood body that was like the go to your trainer and say, give me the Ryan Reynolds body. Like there was a a heartthrob hunky status that like, as far as the level of celebrity you're talking about, unless you're going to be Tom Hanks. No, you know what it is? I know what she's thinking is that he, he could, because he, the reason he can't do Bill Pullman with a gun. No one's, no one's going to see Bill Pullman with a gun. I don't think that was going to work. So he, his corner would have been Michael Douglas's corner. Like Michael, he, okay. Yeah, yeah that's what I was, yeah. Into the I Michael this. Douglas sexual yeah. thriller thing or uh, that type of vibe. Like, yes, yeah. I, I buy him as disclosure, Michael Douglas run of, character. Or a run of like taking, he could have done You've Got Mail. Right. I mean, he was in Sleepless in Seattle. But he was the Bellamy. He was the- he, <laughs> And he's in While You Were Sleeping. Right, While You Were Sleeping is the is the movie where you're like, oh, why didn't he, this could have been his world. But it was, he never quite got, I'm not saying he didn't work consistently. I'm saying that, yeah, he could have been the Michael Douglas echelon. He could have been the, not the versatile Tom Hanks, but the 90s Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. I think what, I think the thing that, I think the X factor we're talking about here is being an asshole. Not like, I'm not in like, not speaking like the real life of like a person. Um, I, I, who knows? But like in the terms of like, Michael Douglas has an edge on him where he, oh, he's yeah. kind of untrustworthy right. at all times. Yeah. And Ryan Reynolds, he's a wily figure. Like, and Deadpool is an anti-hero. Yes. Will Pullman played, sh- Bill Pullman played not desirable people. Like Bill, uh, what was the, Igby goes down. Like he is good at playing a character that is like challenging and upsetting, but there's that, I think that edge that people grab onto of like, Ooh, he's kind of shitty. Like there, that is, that has a lot of cachet of like becoming the, like the, is it dangerous leading man thing in the way that I feel like you're talking about of potential. If you're not just like blinding stardom, like, like Will Smith and he doesn't quite have, he's too, He's too relatable. Like he's somebody yeah, you I'm could just know. He could have been like, I'm not saying an exact one-to-one of those careers. I'm saying like, he could have been, I'm, I'm just, 
Whenever I see Bill Pullman in a movie and particularly this speech in Independence Day, which I mean, you know, when you talk about like his Oscar, his in memoriam that he's going to get one day is going to be that clip. Yes. Right. Like that's his, <laughs> the in memoriam will be that clip. If you, if you think into like 200 years into the future, kids will watch that clip in history, alternate history class, thinking that that <laughs> he was an actual president and this was right. an actual speech. And it's, we will not go quietly into the night. <laughs> oh, the intonation. Oh, oh he's doing God. He's best Jack Kennedy in that moment. I love it so much. It's, and it, and it is, it's, it's something that like, can we, it, it just is so, it's so quaint because it's like, could we even have a presidential speech like that in a movie right now that we wouldn't be like rolling our eyes at or that we wouldn't be like, oh yeah, okay, well get back to me when it's healthcare, it's Medicare for all, okay? Like, it, are we beyond a point where we can sort of abandon any cynicism whatsoever, even if it's justified to be like hearing the inspiring words of this man and being like, I will put my life on the line and go fight aliens for President Bill Pullman. <laughs> This this is this is sort of where I was saying like are we are we at where we want to say what the movie was about because yeah, I feel like I think the so yeah is that moment we well before so before first, we yeah. get into what this is really about it is time for an ad break yes. and then so we'll, yeah. we'll give a little tease for the listeners yeah to so us get around. get ready for some good stuff on the other side of this break but in for the moment folks do you love movies do you spend your days thinking about how much you love and want to watch them. The good ones, even the bad ones, everyone told you not to like. It sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies, so much so that they've dedicated every waking moment of their lives to bringing you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts celebrating the cinematic achievement that is the 2001 classic Josie and the Pussycats, to comfy sweatshirts that serve as a call to arms for all those in support of making Judy Greer America's lead. And they just dropped a new one that is all about nominating pod favorite Delroy Lindo yes Oscar yes please please people get on the campaign they even have pins of some of your favorite directors like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele Super Yaki joyously brings you tangible love letters to movies and to filmmakers that you can wear with pride plus the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly 100% water-based inks and they ship with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping if the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. That's S-U-P-E-R-Y-A-K-I.com. Let's watch more movies. And of course, as a special for, uh, for listeners of this podcast, you can use the custom code DisasterDiva to yes. get a discount at checkout. I definitely took advantage of that, and I'm probably going to have to put in another order now that the Delroy Lindo shirts drop. <laughs> All caps, no spaces, Disaster Diva. Which flings us now directly into, at, Liam, I'm so excited that you yeah. have uh, really, it sounds like, prepared for this. What is this movie about? And Liam, let's start with you. Okay, so when I when I started this and when I was thinking back to it in that, that 1996, um, you know, we're, we're coming off of the Cold War. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. to me, this movie is pretty much, like we were saying, it is the peak of Western democracy it is the, I think, inspired, it's like Francis Fukuyama's The End of History. Mm, like everything mm-hmm. is done. We have right. like, even, this is why people burst into applause during the movie. We felt like, like as, an, as a culture, what we were able to achieve with this alien invasion movie was almost like we had won this 
war in a weird way. The, the, like um, it, the American experiment had reached its promise. Yes. And all like all. It, it, so to me, it's about it's about the end of the Cold War. It's about the peak of 90s uh, American driven globalism. Yeah. As a positive thing, which is why I love it. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> it's, you know, nice. it's, it's very, you know, people I, I was reading some of the negative um, reviews on Rotten Tomatoes last night, which I mean, are hilarious. Talk about showing your ass. I mean, all these people <laughs> just trying to, to knock Independence Day with this, uh, you know, like it, it is it is 100% achieves every single goal it sets. You cannot mm-hmm. fault it uh, for any of those things. But, uh, <laughs> there were some people saying like, oh, it's really like genuine, genuine, it's really pro-USA and, and it's, it's such a corny speech at the end. And I really don't think it is. I mean, I think it, it's from this outsider thing. Yes, it's super pro-American in those funny ways, but it is like, like we said, it's very Jewish, has a, one of the first big blockbusters with this awesome African-American movie star. Yeah. Like right in the middle of it. Uh, we work with all the different countries around the world to take everything down. Like there is this kind of, um, you know, humanistic, globalistic message at the end within this speech that it isn't really just about America. It's about humankind and it's about everybody coming together. And it it really is this peak of this post-Cold War uh, moment in history. And so to me, that that's why I, I'm saying like, it's just a bunch of different things peaking at the same time within an art form that is like reflecting what was happening really in the world at the time. Yeah, I love that. I like that. I love that. The P- I, I love thinking of this movie as indicative of textually and metatextually the peak of the American experience. I mean, you're 100% right, because the whole thing is like the, the entire premise is that when Bill Pullman says this is not just an American Independence Day, this is Independence Day for the world. The rest of the world now has to celebrate July 4th every year. <laughs> you're right. I love You're that right. aspect of it. Like, how amazing would this be as a French remake? And they're like, it happens on Bastille Day, and it's now July 14th. The rest of the world's got to be like, oh, July 14th, we're all celebrating our Independence Day. Like, I love that this movie basically, the the exciting world coming together thing is when we all unite around the day that previously Americans had to celebrate their independence from the British. Amanda, yeah. now what is what uh, is yours? And you, you know, you wanted to be reminded of the cold. Yes, and thank the, you. The virus and the computers. So my theory that I came up with while watching it this time, and it it hit me when that great moment when Bill Pullman is telepathically communicating with the alien. Hell yeah! And he's like, oh yeah! And he's like, they they're like locusts. They use all the natural resources, then they move to another planet. Uh huh. Uh huh. I have now decided that this is not an alien invasion movie. These are humans. Oh, you like, are they future humans? They're future humans who have been through thousands of years of evolution and space radiation. That's why they have the Whoa. same. That's why they remember in the movie they're like, oh, they operate the same way do, we do. They breathe yeah. oxygen. This is like Prometheus, like mm-hmm. planting this, and also in ways that I'm not going to spoil. Also, bears some connective tissue to Liam's movies, Liam's Skyline movies, in a way that you should watch to find out what I am saying. So, Amanda, continue. So yeah, so I think that this movie, they're the, they're like locusts. So in my head, this is humans have well in the future completely ripped apart and taken all of the natural resources of earth they then started going about this you know going through galaxies yeah now they finally managed 
to figure out not just space travel, but time travel. Time travel. Time and so now travel. they're like, we're going to go back in time to our homeland wow. and take it over, having now like used all the other usable planets in the galaxy Shit. or in the, in, in the universe. We're going to go back to Earth. And that's why the 96 computer still works <laughs> with, because- they're it's, using it's zeros the and ones. Code. It's the source code. They're using zeros and ones just like regular Earth computers because they're humans. Wow. And that's right. also why they can telepathically communicate Holy because shit. they still can speak English telepathically. <laughs> Their operating system, it's like it's like final draft. It's still yeah. just built on the old code. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's horrible and it's shitty, but everybody uses it, but no one everybody knows why everybody it. keeps using it. <laughs> Right. There's like, yeah, there's like one alien. There's one group of aliens. You're like, guys, we should really switch to movie maker. And it's like, no one wants your movie maker. <laughs> we all already have this. Yeah. I'm too old to relearn this shit. <laughs> My yes. final draft code. I have four more logins. Come on. <laughs> but yeah, so that's what that is. And that's why they're so humanoid. That's why um, they're coming back to earth. And most importantly, that's why they know all of the different, like important notable locations on earth. They so that's that's why they go after all of that. So that's my, that's how I choose to think. So this is a movie about us defeating and ultimately saving the universe because we put an end to humanity. Whoa. Wow. Whoa, Amanda. That is fucking awesome. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, we watch a movie. It's a, what's great is that then it becomes the Ouroboros where it's like eating a uh -huh. tail of humanity is saved, but actually humanity is ended. Wow. I yeah. love it. So that's singularity. It's a singularity moment. Yeah. I mean, like it's it's the I would argue the looper of uh which I think movies. speaks exactly to what Liam said because mm -hmm. it's effectively for both of you, Independence Day is the end of civilization. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's yeah. the end of, of the American experiment and perhaps perhaps more grandly, all of human civilization. Wow. Yeah. They connect. You can't have the optimism that this movie has anymore. Yeah. Like, like I said, mm -hmm. the next year you have the Lewinsky scandal. Yep. We have 9-11 yeah. a few years afterwards. Mm -hmm. And then all of the disaster movies are like, death is coming and you must accept it. Yes. <laughs> like yeah. there's no more, there's no more like, uh, like let's all rally together and uh, and find our, our common humanity and, and take them down. It's like it no, all, post 9-11, totally. everything came about accepting death and the, the universe is hostile and, uh, and, and impersonal and we're all gonna, you know, die. It is. This yeah. is this movie is I'm going to build off of what you guys have said and say that this movie is <clears throat> because of all of that. This is the grand farewell party to American optimism. Like this is oh, this is it. Like this is this is this this is the going out. This is the looking at the slideshow. This is the wake yeah. for American optimism because I it is we are about to the chickens are about to start coming home to roost for all the previous not forward thinking enough decisions that have been made like in the way that the boomers have fucked us right. like it is we are the bell is about to toll we have you know Clinton he's just everything's coming up Bill well then there's going to be the trial 
And then he's going to lose the election. And then there's going to be 9-11. And then we are entered into the post 9-11 world, the sort of neoconservative agenda that builds the, you know, following Newt Gingrich's culture wars and all that horse shit and Reaganomics. And then we're going to go into this world that gives us a present where it can look so much more like a dystopia than I think anybody outside of idiocracy ever really dared to make something so explicit, like just so like dumb dystopia. We're not talking about like fucking Orwellian. We're talking stupid dystopia. (laughs) And what you see even like you see even in the works of Roland Emmerich, the future works of Roland Emmerich, how this was his farewell to optimism as well. Like in 2012, you have it building toward the rich people have bought their way into salvation. And then there is a crush on the foot of these, at the doorstep of these arcs in the Himalayan mountains where people are like pitching each other, each other over the edge to get in and survive. And even the people who have built the ships aren't allowed to be saved and get on them and, and be part of like the extension of humanity. And then in, in Day After Tomorrow too, there is... You have, um, you know, the proper, like the continental United States is driven south. And there's this, there's that moment at the end where it becomes the reconciliation of like, oh, well, I guess the quote unquote third world is our future now because these areas considered the first world that were more technologically advanced, economically prosperous. Well, they're now frozen over in a brand new ice age. So they're reliant on countries that they previously treated as disposable or footnotes or just like to be economically exploited. We are now reliant upon them to carry into the future this was his last movie saying people can come together and solve this question so answer this question solve this problem in unity yeah even in his own movies what the optimism that he is capable of is kind of dashed against the rocks and like well no we've passed that time and also the realities of like you know what climate catastrophe will will mean for all of us sort of saps the ability to be like super optimistic about like a grand scale world saving question but it really like this is the you know amanda says this is the end of actual civilization you explain that this is like the last peak of of america and it's like been a doubt it's perhaps been going into a valley with little upward blips along the way as we descend further and i say it is the the wake the funeral wake for american optimism it is wild how dark art interpretations of this absolutely (laughs) just bubbly this movie has harvey firestein it oh jesus it does what a you're right I'm going to call my mother. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just that, that, that I, I treasure the optimism of mankind. That word should have new meaning for all of us today. Like we are one race. We are a human race. And like, you know what? It was the last possible moment that a president Bill Coleman could have said it. How do we compare it to another film? I'm a huge fan of two years later, Armageddon. Is it, is that as Armageddon, it to me is so much more specifically American. Yes, it's so much yes. more like uh, of a testosterone celebration of the American uh, male that it doesn't have the same. Even though I I absolutely love it, it doesn't have that same like wholesome global feel that I feel like Independence Day does. No, I mean yeah. I just I just don't think that that's that's not that's not a that's not an ethos I think Michael Bay is capable of putting in something. Right. And I think too like the fact that the fact that Roland Emmerich is a gay man, like I'm not saying that that like changes everything, but I think the lens of viewing the world at least through some and from form. Germany. I think from being from yeah. Germany is uh, growing up, you know, in, in that circumstance of yeah. of uh, it's definitely was a big influence on it, I think. 
Well, yeah. And I think, I, I think coming from a place like, you know, I think we're talking about a lot in the U S lately, like in the wake of the, the insurrection at the Capitol is the fact that we, the lesson we learn from the death of reconstruction is that without accountability, you actually cannot move forward. And this, you know, the idea of, you know, Joe Biden build back better, terrible slogan. Um, <laughs> like let's leave just a, a critical article out of that. Um, the idea of building building forward better than we were before without actual accountability means that you don't actually reconcile something terrible that happened. And Germany famously reconciled with the events of World War II and the formation, the reformation of that country in the wake of the atrocities and the Third Reich and Hitler's ruling regime to have like trials at Nuremberg for there to be laws written in for like no it is illegal to hang the nazi flag yes. like we didn't like you know i think there's sort of a renewal that's due globally for sort of re re considering the effects of of world war ii and that it's not just a piece of the history books it's still something we're living but we didn't do even that what was done in germany in the wake of world war ii we didn't do that following the civil war we didn't right. do that we never actually came to terms with our darkness and our bile here so we could just suppress it and there could be a con there you there could be jim crow there could be an un there can be an irreconcilable white racist poison that runs through this country at its core because no one actually ever fundamentally said we need to root this out and it's bad we just said okay but as long as you do that over here um and that way you'll allow us to continue operations in a united senate then that's fine and he comes from a country where that where more of that reconciliation work is done. And you have in America in something like Armageddon, sort of that absolute spirit of that like cocksureness, never having really had to have been put in check. Like right. there, there never had to have been a check on that power. There never had to have been no. a recalibration of that swagger. It is just exceptionalism to its absolute hilt. I'm glad we hit this because I know there was someone on this podcast who was like, what about Armageddon? And now you have fucking you, you, perfect answer. Yeah. <laughs> I was always in, in the binary of the two. I was always more of a deep impact gal. So I appreciate both. I love but deep I, impact. When they both came out, I was like, oh, deep impact is the one for me. Hans Biederman. Is that the name of it? Hans Biederman. Hans Biederman. <laughs> Hans Biederman. <laughs> I mean, when, you know, uh, in Elijah Wood, Lily Sobieski, classic. I feel like Taya Leone, Taya and, Leone her, and her father standing on the shore with their like peaceful, sad embrace, uh, seeing the tsunami come at them. That's a real like Independence Day level of emotional grounding oh, yeah. in a story. Just so, the daddy right before they're fucking oh. annihilated. Yes. I've never actually seen Armageddon all the way through. Um, oh, wow. I know. It's just oh like God. one of those weird. I, and it's one of those ones I'm like, I need to watch this, but then I never have. And I've only seen it part like just clips and bits of it. And I feel like having seen all of Deep Impact, personally, I am an Armageddon girl. <laughs> you so deeply don't like it, Deep Impact. You know no, that the movie no, no. you haven't watched all the way is better. I know. I like Deep Impact. I just know that at my core, I'm an Armageddon girl because the clips I've seen have been things like one of the astronauts brings a gun on the spaceship. And I'm like, that's- I mean, it's a Michael Bay movie. That's my, like, I'm just like, that's that's me. I am that, I am that trash panda. I, yeah, I, <laughs> um, I had I, like, I had like an emotional like breakdown in Armageddon. Like, I, oh I, my I God. Saw, I saw Deep Impact in- It's brutal. It. 
And mm-hmm. I think Armageddon was the first movie I saw in like the stadium seating theaters because those oh, were like yeah, a new yeah, thing yeah, yeah. in 1998 totally. with like the yeah. massive new sound system. And I remember like turning to my girlfriend and being like, this is just so tense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's going to happen? Like, I, I, mean, I, I it's devastating. I really, I really, yeah, yeah, my nerves were frayed in that movie. Yeah. It, it's, it's definitely a more tense uh, of the two. It's more of that, like, he just keeps twisting you, twisting you, twisting you. Uh, and, and, in that, uh, in that circumstance, as far as when they're up on the, on the asteroid and all of the different, you know, well, and you have clocks. such a, you have such a, like, I feel like the comparison sort of like y- Harry Stamper is essentially your, your, your president, Bill Pullman in that movie. And like right. the difference, the difference in his, like, the difference in how his character resolves and the things that he says versus how Bill Pullman's character resolves and the things that he says, you have like a fundamentally more like an American man wrote this with the backing yes. of the United yeah. States military to get this movie made. Right. Um, and that like the, the I, I feel like an incredibly, a perfectly American moment is when you find out that all of the oil drink, oil rig guys have agreed to go on this mission to split the asteroid to split the meteor and their condition is that they never have to pay taxes for the rest of their lives. Yes. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, that's that damn damn straight. Fuck those per- taxes. Perfect moment. I'm I'm gonna sidebar this for just a second to say um I've added into my theory. Oh, okay. okay. Um I think that this movie is also a closed time loop film. Oh, wow. And the way that- So how many times has Earth been destroyed, Amanda? Well, so here's the thing. The way that humans are able to start, what starts our exploration of the galaxies is the fact that the entire Earth is now covered in these miles wide spaceships full of alien tech. Oh. Wow. And that's how we're able to leave the Earth. And we have to leave the Earth because all of our cities are destroyed. Yeah, I mean, like you said, and like the end. Yeah, and like these, these, these. I mean, how do you get rid of these spaceships? Like, you know, we think about Shin Godzilla last week, and there's a Godzilla right. in the middle of downtown Tokyo, just there. Like, there is a, you know, the pyramids. There is a giant spaceship behind it. Like every right. major metropolis has a giant ass spaceship parked in the middle of it. Yeah. How do you rebuild? How would you do? You you have to eventually just assume you're going to be leaving the Earth, and that and now we've got the tech to do it. So that's that's something I just added to that theory. Um, right. And so my this dog is barking. The Michael Bean, the Michael Bean, and and Linda Hamilton. Yeah, you know, fathering exactly. John Connor. Yes. Starting the movie over again. Yes, yeah, I love it. Exactly. This is this is that. Um, and also, I do want to. One thing we didn't shout out: a a wonderful trope of the Roland Emmerich is people out running an explosion. Oh, oh. yeah, 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 yeah. And we have two great instances: the Air Force One out flying. Oh the, man. Uh, the detonation is really a peak, but a smaller moment that I truly enjoyed was that the only human we see out running anything is not a human at all. It is a dog. I mean, the humans outrun it too. The dog just comes with them. Right. But I love that we get the dog with the outrunning with the fire behind him. Oh God. It's yeah. Beautiful. I just, yeah. I was like, this is, this was his most, his most contained and restrained moment <laughs> when you compare it to like trying to outrun, like, you know, John Cusack outrunning a, a law, a, um, cloud of ash. Yes, yes. Well, um, yes, he got away with it, and he's like, "I'm, I'm going all the way." He's going, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, was his. This was his first foray. He's almost restrained in. Yeah, it's a, a, gate, a gateway drug, really. But yeah, I, I was gonna say I mentioned this to Jordan on emails, but like the first movie that I ever really wrote because disaster movies are like are my favorite genre. It was like yes. the first movie I ever wrote. 
uh, that got, uh, you know, with, with the, the directors of the first Skyline, Greg and Colin Strauss were attached and John Davis, the big producer who did Predator, he mm-hmm. got attached and we took it out on the town, it was called Singularity. And it was like directly influenced from Roland Emmerich and Armageddon and those type of things. And it was it was about the CERN particle collider type of thing that yes, created a nice. black hole, Yes, you know, on, on our planet. And the big twist, because I was obsessed with the big crunch for whatever reason. <laughs> like you could have just had the movie just be about the black hole. And that's what John Davis wanted. But I'm uh-huh. like this fucking 25 year old idiot being like, <laughs> no. It, it, the twist at the second half of the movie was that like this black hole had created a new center point of the universe and that all of the <laughs> oh. galaxies were going to come in and crush Amazing. Earth. Oh my God, I love it. I love and, that. <laughs> and, and like this thing got like sent out on the town. Like we had meetings at like, um, you know, uh, DreamWorks and like the, the exec was like, Steven's going to love this. And I like, called my mom and was like, she's like crying. And then Monday morning was like, Steven didn't like it. <laughs> Like, it was like one of those like oh my god this it's all happening the way i want it to happen god uh, what a hollywood moment yes um but so it actually got to michael weimer who was roland's M- uh, agent okay he ended up becoming uh producing uh 10,000 bc in 2012 oh, so okay. this is like um i don't know probably like 2007 or 8 and so he came over to hydraulics and sat and talked to me and he, there was the sequence where the moon fell uh, and like it destroyed <laughs> yes! you know, half the earth. And he was like, he was like, I love like what you're doing here, but here's what you got. And he, he, he gave, he told me the story of the dog. He was like, you know, the dog, like the lesson were there was, you know, the test audiences went fucking through the roof for it. And it was yep. like, you can destroy millions of people you but can you have to give them the dog you yeah. do and, and i was like he was like the, you know it was kind of this this just great lesson <laughs> in, in that moment and also that it like cuts to black afterwards so you, you know everyone's just applause you know it has this yeah. great applause yeah. moment um, <laughs> there's one other tidbit from that meeting that was interesting is that the studio did not want to call it independence day and he oh. was saying they were they wanted it called like Invasion USA, Invasion mm-hmm. of America, hmm. Doomsday, all these very, very generic things. And then right. they had to really yeah. fight for it. Um, which Independence again, Day is so good. <laughs> yeah. That's what I think what I love about the movie so much is that these guys, you know, they come from Universal Soldier, which, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. is like a classier version of uh, just a, a pretty much, you know, uh, Terminator kind of knockoff action yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. And then they go to Stargate, which is like, just hits way above its, uh, you know, its weight. It's just, it obviously showed all this promise. And it's like and then, pretty hard sci-fi. Yeah. And then they get like all the keys to the kingdom on this third movie. Yeah. That's and they true. kill it. It's not Spielberg. It's not Lucas. It's not all these guys that have been in the business, you know, for, for 10 to 20 years. It yeah. is, yeah. This kind of outsiders that within three movies, like they said that they came up with the idea of this movie in October, 1994. It was what? shooting in July, 95 and it's out independence day, 96. That blows my mind. That is why that is unbelievable. Whoa. I mean, that's just, that's the hand of God coming down and like blessing you just like yes, hovering over like, you. I, I will I will give this civilization its peak. Here you are. <laughs> Here you are. Go forth, my son. Go forth, my child, Roland Emmerich. <laughs> um, 
I mean, I can't, I can't fantasy cast anything else about this movie. Like this movie is intact. I, I can't, I can't put any, all the pieces are in place. I can't change anything about it. No, James Reborn. We didn't talk about him. What oh my a great God. asshole. Oh my yeah. God. You're right. Of course. Of course. What was his first line? He's like, we'll just get some ICBMs and blow it out of the sky. <laughs> <laughs> A perfect moment. A perfect moment. My God. Steven Spielberg, eat your heart out. Independence Day is here. <laughs> I mean, World War of the Worlds will have a cold as well, but you know what? They're going to make these aliens sick first. Yeah. Right. I I actually would, re- if, if someone came to me and was like, we're remaking it. Okay, yeah. I've got a, I've got a fantasy cast. Okay, Let's go for it. it. I'm yeah. not saying it's going to work, but this is right. the cast that I would put together. So I want to keep the essential Jewishness of this film. I mean, the Great. fact that the evil CIA guy is like, has to bow his head and pray to a Jewish prayer. And he's like, I'm not Jewish. And, <laughs> well, nobody's perfect. Well, nobody's yeah, perfect. Well, nobody's perfect. <laughs> but honestly, that line could have been, we do this all the time. Shut up. You can do it too. Yeah, because, right, right, like, right. I was like, I just, I loved the essential Jewishness of this film. So obviously the father and son are Eugene, Eugene and Dan Levy. Oh my God. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Like, Love it. yeah. Cause you can't get a Jeff Goldblum. So I want to go in the opposite direction of that same kind of anxiety. And yeah. Get, and, and Dan Levy is the opposite end of that kind of anxiety. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's like they're that ain't those anxieties are cousins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Eugene sure. and Dan Levy, um, and then to cast, there's only one man who can take up the mantle of Will Smith in this film. Oh, and it's oh, not younger, younger digitized Will Smith. I mean, that would be amazing. But no, <laughs> Nope. And this, if you're remaking this film, you know what we're doing. This is a film that is being remade entirely because The Rock says, I, I was going to say, are you putting aliens. The Rock? Are you putting The Rock in this movie? <laughs> it's got to be The Rock. Like, that's why this movie isn't going to maintain any of what makes Independence Day great, but this right. is the cast that this movie would have. Sure. Because what the way this movie comes about <laughs> is The Rock's like, you know, I haven't punched an alien yet. Right. Yeah. And so yeah, it's going to be The Rock. It's not going to make any sense. Do you mean like astronauts have to be small and compact? And, the yeah. rock, like, and like, can you imagine The Rock in that alien spaceship? No, it'd be, like he'd be the, in a in, Mini Cooper. It's like in The Incredibles <laughs> when you have the dad trying to sit at yeah. an office desk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's going to be The Rock. Um, and the idea of get, the energy of Dan the, Levy right? and The Rock. <laughs> wow. That buddy duo is going to be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> the um, a, a like a like a like winking remark from Dan Levy about how huge The Rock yeah. is in his Dan Levy voice would be very satisfying. Yeah, just the oh my god, yeah, like, you're so big. <laughs> that should definitely happen, <laughs> right? Like, that is just a thing we need. So obviously, uh, The Rock is going to get the love interest in this one, um, and it is going. His love interest is going to be the like president's right hand woman. Okay, who will be Vivica A. Fox. It could, yeah, absolutely could still be Vivica yes. Fox. Yeah. So she's going to be, she's going to take up that role of whoever that character actress was. She's going to be the president's right-hand woman. Uh-huh. She and The Rock were married in their early 20s. Obviously uh-huh. now The Rock is like separately a, a pilot. This is like, this is pilot. San Andreas. This is him and Carla Gugino. Very similar, yes. <laughs> um, I wanted the uh, nerd at Area 51. is going to be Taika Waititi. Oh, okay. Fun. Yeah. Um, just because I feel like he'd have a good time with it. And then he gets, oh, you know, yeah. his, he gets throttled by an alien. He'd be super into all of that. Yeah. I think let's get him to direct. Yeah. yeah. Oh, let's <laughs> get him to direct. Taika would direct this. 100%. You're so this right, is actually. Film. Wow. Yeah. 
And then, of course, for the president, I'm going to pull from the core favorite. Oh, is it Delroy? No. Damn it. Hey, I love Delroy, but he's not in this film. This is going to be instead another beloved pilot from the core, Hillary Swank. Oh, okay. I would. Okay. I think a President Hillary Swank would be very nice. A President Hillary Swank. Yeah, <laughs> I think that would be very nice. And to, with, with Vivica A. Fox as like her right hand woman, and like she's just perfectly like she's just she's not bland, mm. but she's not exciting. But she's also you'd be like, yeah, she was a fighter pilot, and now she's like, yeah, she's very president. measured. It can yeah. be icy, but it's just steadfast. Actually, like, yeah, absolutely. And of course, like the whole thing is that instead of it being that she's, you know, we wanted a warrior instead we got a wimp, it's going to be, you know, that this is a woman and is a woman suited to be the per- first introduction to aliens. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Is that should that be our emissary here? Oh, yeah. that would be. Yeah, that would be great. So that's my cast for this absolutely bananas. <laughs> you know, you're, I, I thought you were going to go Michael B. Jordan for the Will Smith no, uh, and recasting, I, but that's probably too literal. I think. Yeah, I think it was. Like, I, had, I had a moment of considering it, and I was like, he is really charismatic. He is really great, but no, it's. It, we don't, I don't want to do a one to one. Like, you can't remake the <sighs> chemistry who, of this film. Why hasn't there been a Michael B. Jordan Will Smith movie? Like, what what are they waiting for? I would love. I would. I, I feel like he, Michael B. Jordan, could absolutely carry the chemistry of bad boys forward yeah. like yes. if you if you made him a young cop on the force in miami and you wanted to stretch into like next gen of bad boys michael b jordan could absolutely be that guy see yes. i'd I'd love them to do like a sort of uh yeah like a lethal weapon dynamic of like will smith yes. playing the old like grizzled sort of guy and michael b jordan playing the young energetic guy like i think that'd be a fun time green light it green light it we're done <laughs> writes itself (laughs) i and i like i feel like if i were if i were making one tweak to yours amanda i would Mm -hmm. like slightly dark universe it and make um (laughs) jason momoa would be the rock's character oh (laughs) that is also when that guy leans into cheese Mm -hmm. he really leans hard and i super appreciate that about him i see your jason momoa as the rocks in the rocks role and instead say what if jason momoa is the randy quaid character (laughs) <laughs> wow with his real actual kids it's actually just him lisa bonet their oh. actual children <laughs> yeah. in this movie with him and he's not a drunk he's just a conspiracy theorist he's just like, a conspiracy he's theorist. just a conspiracy theorist who kind of can't get his shit together enough to fly his his rotation so there doesn't to be like a real tragic thing <laughs> right. but, but yeah like what if we just bring throw in some jason momoa just to really bring that tank top energy I think yeah. he could sell the biplane at the end. I think oh, we, could, so we, could re- we could restore the original intent. <laughs> he, yeah. We could release the Emmerich cut with Momoa. Seeing yes. his like wild-eyed arched eyebrows on the approach with that close-up to the alien ship would be incredible. <laughs> incredible. <laughs> All right, God. so does this take us to how many towering infernos we're giving Independence well, do you Day? Do you have any, would you do any castings, Liam, or are you leaving? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought, yeah, uh, so uh, fantasy castings or, or, or who you would recast at the time you, for you, the different roles? Either way, it's up you, to you. Yeah, it's like, you know what? There's a version of this in my mind that exists in whatever way you want. You can go for it. No, no, I, I really feel like, again, I love that. The, back to that outsider thing that there wasn't any huge stars. I mean, I, think, I guess Goldblum's coming off Jurassic Park. So he's yeah. kind of the biggest uh here but like even like robert loggia is fantastic him and pullman are yeah. kind of out grizzling each other oh at my the god beginning. robert yeah. loggia robert uh, loggia my god uh, 
and they're both doing they're both doing like a male vocal grizzle fry. And we watched Necessary Roughness the other day, and I was just like, "Fuck!" Has have have many people ever been as good at their specific thing as Robert Loja no, <laughs> at his no. specific thing? Fucking wow, man. No, and even another problematic fave, Adam Baldwin. Like, is it? Yeah, is that, is that glass bulletproof? No, yeah. sir. <laughs> Fucking great moment. Like, I, I, you know, I can't take it away from him. I, I don't like his Twitter behavior since, but I can't take the moment away. So, right, I am, yeah, I'm gonna leave the masterpiece uh, uh, as, as it is. Excellent. And so, I mean, that brings us to the very unsuspenseful question of how how many towering infernos, which I feel like we would all shout at once and come up with the same answer, but like. <laughs> Amanda, what's the the scale? Out of five, out of five. It's 10. (laughs) It's 10 for Liam. (laughs) This is 10. Stick that landing. Stick that landing. Amanda, as the resident phobic person of aliens, how is Independence Day for you? I mean, it's a perfect film, guys. Like, <laughs> okay. There's no question on this. And again, like this is this somehow this movie transcends my deep and very real fear. Oh, uh, good. It is a perfect, it is a perfect fucking film. <laughs> it is a Thank perfect you. film. Five, five towering infernos for me, five for Amanda, 10 for Liam. Jason, <laughs> what do you think? Do you have infernos you want to give to this one? Because surely you've seen it. I've definitely seen it. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to give it five. I'm, so, I, <laughs> yeah. you know, like woo. I oh want to have even, any other opinion, but even if you don't like the movie, like you can't fight the math of it. It's you just, can't. yeah, <laughs> it's it's mathematically achieved everything it wanted to achieve. So you're, you're right. Quantifiably like, a a perfect movie. A, yeah. a perfect. No, this is the McDonald's Happy Meal of movies. Like <laughs> it has been engineered to be so perfectly like to even if you don't actively want anything that's in it, it's still it's just your body has just been it's been chemically altered. To Undisputably enjoy satisfying. It. Yeah. Just no matter what, you have to enjoy it. Yeah. Oh, I, I one little circle back to the beginning of the pod, Amanda, where you said you don't didn't like aliens. My oldest son, who's eleven mm-hmm. now who was in the first Skyline. He's like the baby on the plane that my wife has that uh, Eric Belfour helps oh, get the okay. luggage for. Oh, Wait, okay. Uh, so pod, pod favorite Eric Belfour. Eric Belfour. Yes. We love so, Eric Belfour king, here. King of the seas, yes. Very nice guy. <laughs> so he grew up with alien posters on the wall his whole life and okay. is scared to death of aliens. He will not watch any of the Skyline movies. <laughs> he, 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 and I had to even, now he's 11. Mm-hmm. Finally, I was like, look, man, you're getting into the internet. <laughs> There's a lot of memes that are based off this movie that you're just not going to understand. Right. Like you, yeah. you actually have to see this thing because it's part of the lexicon. He says fine. And he liked it too. Yeah. He yeah. actually didn't like it. It wasn't right. too scary for him. So I think now we're going to start actually, he might actually watch one of my own movies. You know, my little <laughs> girls, my little girls, my my four-year-old loves the la- the the skyline. She loves that oh, the alien. That's so cool. Because it's named after well, I named my latest son he's five months old i named him trent after okay. the alien character so she loves that there's <laughs> trent is an- so good in the movie <laughs> oh thank you she <laughs> loves that that there's an alien named after her baby brother and, and it's really it's an r-rated movie but it's not really that gory or scary um to me anyway and so I, yeah. i'll hold her eyes like the first time and then mm-hmm. you know I, I don't think it's like it, it's the most inappropriate of it for a first r-rated movie um so yeah that is just different different how that all came full circle for me when you were explaining that I was like, maybe that's why my oldest 
is deathly afraid of aliens because like, <laughs> he was like getting his eating his cereal at like one years old and there's a photo a poster of all these people getting sucked up into a ship like right <laughs> above his, his uh, breakfast table i i love I, i'm going to hang on to the 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 image in my mind of just your little girl after he punches me and just going i love him <laughs> <laughs> I love him too, kiddo. I love him yeah. too. I he get did, it. This it was. I'm not kidding. I have a. I posted a video on Twitter of my dog was lying on the sofa with me. <laughs> it looked like he was going through it. It looked like he, my dog's mind had been blown. And the thing <laughs> is, is that my, he doesn't normally lie there and like he doesn't notice the TV or pay attention to anything normally. Um, he's normally just like lying there sleeping or licking himself. He's a dog. Yeah, he's not, he's not a human. I have never seen him so wrapped with whatever was happening on the television. I can't account for it. Like, I don't know That's why. That's really funny. But he, the whole time, like, I had enough time to be able to be like, I should take video of this. <laughs> Is into whatever's happening on the screen. Will Smith in this film transcends species. Is, I think, the point of this. It does. Well, I would you like to tell the folks at home where is is easiest and best to watch your movies, Liam, so we can get the word out about about your two Skyline films? Uh, yeah, Skylines. Um, the the latest one is on uh, Apple TV. Uh, pretty much any any type of uh, VOD right now. Um, mm-hmm. Prime. Uh, the if you buy it on Apple though, it has all of these special features that you can't even get on the Blu-ray. Oh, cool! Um, so, the, so it it has a lot of uh, deleted scenes and uh, in a, in a big making of and a couple of uh, a different shorter making of featurettes. So, I would definitely recommend uh, the Apple for for Skylines. Beyond Skyline is um, on Netflix right now, and uh, both are on Blu-ray. And part one, I believe, is on HBO Max. So, okay, they're, they're all out there. I know that I originally watched it on Netflix, but I couldn't say if it's there anymore. So. Oh, Skyline one. No, it was actually, we were like one of the first, um, we, we, we signed a relativity back then Mm, 2010, they had this like deal where they skipped the pay window of like HBOs and, and all those and went right to Netflix. Okay. Got it. Kind of like the first people to do that. So we had this, like, you know, we're out in the theater and then like three years on Netflix, um, from like 2011 to 2013. Okay. Okay. And, and when it showed, showed back up on like spike TV and sci-fi is when I was like, you know what? I really got to fucking write the sequel. Is it like <laughs> yeah. seeing it? Cause it kind of like disappeared in a weird way. It was on early streaming Netflix. I wasn't yeah. thinking about it, trying to make all these other movies. And when I finally watched again and people were like tweeting along with it on, on, I think it was spike TV. I was like, ah, I'd kill to make a sequel to this. And, and that's kind of what kicked it off. Well, I like, and I know I I led with it at the start, but just like, I so appreciate you coming on and talking to us about this. And I initially asked if you wanted to talk about your movie and then you were like, oh, you know, do we pick the movie? Do I need to talk about mine? And we settled on Independence Day. Um, I had such, I such a joyful time watching Beyond Skyline and, and then Skyline's the most recent one. I... This is, it's kind of like the exact level of movie that me and Amanda talk about. Like, I wish more of these movies existed. Like, where is the solid, looks fucking great, isn't like the sci-fi made for TV level movie? Like, where is this kind of disaster movie, this kind of spectacle action movie? Why don't we see more of these now? Why don't we make more of these now? 
And it's just such a fun time. The performances are great. The way the story builds on itself from beyond into skylines, like it, it absolutely sets itself up by the end of the third movie. You're like, oh, am I settling in for three more of these? Like where's Skyline 6? Like it feels like a franchise you want to like see go on because you see like the relationships and the potential for so much story and learning and, and cool action shit. Um, I'm just, I'm so glad you came out to talk about this and I, I love the movie so much. I, I, we really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, well, thank you. I had so much fun talking with you guys and yeah, I'm, I'm working on a, on a part four right now. We'll see what happens. It's always one of these things where it's like, if we ended at two, I was happy and three, I'm like, wow, that I'm just, I'm, I'm so uh, stoked that I got to make this third one and do something so completely different than mm-hmm, I, than I'd mm-hmm. ever done before. You know, like disaster movie where like the invasion happens, like like Independence Day is like yeah. the first is mm-hmm. Skyline and Beyond Skyline. There's so much happening um, that like the invasion is always the number one thing people talk about. And it was really fun to do a part three in this post-invasion world. Yeah. So you can have a little bit more character and, you know, people could talk about something that happened in the past and you weren't Mm -hmm. like, hey, shut the fuck up. The world just ended. I don't care about what happened here. So uh, that that was uh, that was definitely a a really great experience. And um, yeah, we kind of set up you know, something of, uh, that, that could be really fun to kind of bring the casts of those two films that I made together. I mean, I've expressed this on Twitter, you know, that I want to see as much Rona Mitra as possible. So if she could come back, that would be so cool. She's, she's pretty much exactly what you want Rona Mitra to be. Holy Um, shit. That is exciting to hear. Like really (laughs) smart and unpredictable. And you know, like how sometimes you can hang out with someone and be like, you're just kind of like not really on your game, but like whenever I knew I had to talk to her, I was like, like trying to make myself feel as smart as possible because (laughs) she's so well read and she's so witty that you're like, Oh my God, I think she just hit that back at me and I missed it. Fuck. And so I was like constantly trying to, to be uh, my best self when I was, uh, when I was talking with Rona, but she's very, very sweet. And, um, and, and just smart. And uh, yeah, so, it, it, and it was like, she knew exactly what type of movie it was too. Fuck like yeah. the, the line, uh, can't, not in Kansas anymore. Some people were like, oh, I can't believe you guys use that again. Right. She she pitched it to me. She's I like, mean, and coming from Rona Mitra's voice, yeah. that takes on an entirely different significance than like hearing, I don't know, Bill Pullman say it. There was no line. It was just, they were coming out and, and uh, I, I had it, it was all of an intercut. And she's like, I think I should say something here. And I was like, okay, what do you got? And she's like, <laughs> She just she just delivers it to you right to your face the way that it is, and you're like, yeah, great. I bought, Let's do I'm it. bought Let's in. Shoot it. I, and, and I yeah, I feel. I was like going to say one more one liner she did was the um, the, the the no respect for science line, which she was like, you do you have something here? Because then then when we started building them in, she was like a kid in a candy store, and she's like, yeah. do you have something here? And I was like, I literally wrote a one liner here that I thought was so like you know, cheeky that I, I deleted it because I was uh-huh. too embarrassed to send the pages to you. <laughs> but it is no respect for science. And she just like, cut, I like whispered it to her because I was so embarrassed. <laughs> it's and like she, you passed it on a note to her so nobody yes, else could hear yes. it. Yes, and she like stuck her tongue literally in her cheek. And then she was like, <laughs> that's, a, that's a Roger Moore line, darling. I, I can do that in my sleep. And I'm like, oh, I love you. I love oh you. Oh my God. <laughs> I, to me, the, she like, they're the two, the two sides of the force are Rhonda Mitra and Kate Beckinsale. 
mm-hmm. which like makes it it lines up within the underworld universe. Yes. But like I I they are like the 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 yin and yang to one another to me, and I live for a world in which Quebec and Sailor Gronamitra actually team up and kill everyone together um, because they have the perfect companion, like wry kick-ass sensibilities while being inconceivably stunning people who are also seemingly really good personalities as well. So I, yes, thank you for honoring Ronamitra in a way that she deserves. And she, she stuck up for herself because I'm, you know, it, like the, the wardrobe people came up with this outfit that, that she pulls out in the third act. And <laughs> yeah. I saw like, we did a camera test and in the camera <laughs> test, it had a lot more zippers and kind of chrome zippers and clasps. Yeah. And it just looked very fetishy to me. Uh-huh. And I was like, uh, I don't know guys, like everyone's going to look at me like I'm this horny <laughs> director. Yeah. And I, I like pitched this, like, what if we keep the apron that she had on in the first act, but mm-hmm. she just, you know, it's like a tank top with the apron so it feels more like she's doing her doctor thing yeah and, Ro- and rona was like absolutely not <laughs> she's like, oh this god is, like this is what people want to see me in and this is what i'm wearing <laughs> and i was like oh okay wow. uh, and so uh you know we we definitely aged it down and we took some of the zippers off and made it uh-huh. feel a little more lived in but um you know, i mean i i, I don't I not want her. to see Rodimitra and that so she's i mean yes Rodimitra she's right actually she's right. yeah yeah but it's like a little bit where you just have to you have to trust like she she knows mm-hmm. she knows better than you do she's been she knows her, her whole life <laughs> She's used to this. She's Rhodamitra. But yes, Amanda, thank you for uh, abiding this divergence no. into standship for me. <laughs> hey, one day I will be, I will similarly gush about some film and you will be like, what, what are you, what, why? <laughs> I absolutely love hearing how excited you get about stuff. So it's totally fine. Um, and I am sorry, Liam, that I have not watched your films, but again, I am a coward. <laughs> That's okay. That's it. I so, think Beyond, Beyond Skyline is definitely the more uh, traumatic alien um, slaughter. Yeah, okay. yeah. Part three is 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 less the horror splatter version. It's much more of a space adventure uh, film. Yeah, and there's okay. alien there's alien human integration in the third one that adds like buddy comedy elements yes. to it, where okay. like humans and aliens are being buddies. In in a, in 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 the course of like a mission, and Trent, who has been previously mentioned on this, love Trent. Trent's a great Trent's a great supporting actor. <laughs> yeah, he's the heart of the movie for sure. <laughs> but we, I think, we will now sort out our business of what we watch next week and do all that, which you don't have to stick around for that rigmarole. Awesome. Um. So, but I will I will unmute my video to just look into the camera and say we appreciate your time, Liam. Thank you so much, and I do. Hope to keep talking with you about things in the future. This was really fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. This was great. Thank you, guys. I had a blast. I hope everybody enjoys it. Uh, Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Amanda. And thank you, Jordan. Hope to come back. I love it. Yes. Okay, great. Thank you so much. And have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. So, Amanda, what coming off a smash like this and having done a number of smashes in a row... What do we want to bring the, what do we want to bring the listeners next week? So I think that we're going to, you know, we've got to, we got to mix in some of our, our roots, one might say. Um, So I am going to recommend for, uh, present to the Midnight Society. Yes. Magma colon volcanic disaster. (laughs) From 2006, starring Xander Berkeley. And Amy Jo Johnson, the Pink Ranger. Amy Jo Johnson, the Pink Ranger. Oh, what a thrill. 
When a volcano expert becomes convinced that a cataclysmic natural disaster is about to unfold, a volcanologist, Professor John Shepard, and his graduate students believe that recent unexplainable volcanic activity as all of the volcanoes in the world are going to erupt and kill every living thing on the planet. You hate to see it. Yep. So that's what we'll be doing. We'll be going with volcanic disaster. And that is, of course, available on Tubi. Yeah, I feel like we've been at a dead sprint. So this will be a nice walk. This will be a nice little walk for our next one. We're just going to pause it. We're going to take it back to uh, some questionable visual effects. Yeah, we're going to do a cool down uh, episode. We're going to do a cool down episode. We're going to cool down with some magma. (laughs) And so that's exciting. So I'm looking forward to that for next week. In the meantime, though, Jordan, where can we find you? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Jorcru, J-O-R-C-R-U. You can listen to me talk about horror movies. We have just finished the first season of Ott's Tyrion, me and my uh, co-creator, Sam Weinman. And uh, there's always the Patreon, patreon.com slash Cruciola. So come uh, hit that up and listen to me talk all over the place. Perfect. And Jason, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jason Halftones for all my uh, nerdy bullshit and uh, thatmightbecool.com for more podcasts. All right. And you can find me. I'm Amanda R. Tubbs, uh, Tubbs with two Bs. Two Bs. And uh, I'm just there on Twitter all the time. And then, of course, the podcast is disaster underscore pod on Twitter. We're disastergirlspod at gmail.com. If you haven't had a second yet to do so, please take a minute to rate and review us. It is super helpful to us. Very. And uh, yeah. Otherwise, we'll see y'all back next week for Magma Volcanic Disaster. (laughs) Cannot wait. Let's do it. Bye, Bye, guys. That might be cool.com. You never know.